get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good Monday morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on a Monday morning on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. Great to have you with us. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? Randy, I am doing fantastic on this Monday. The Cardinals are a game out in the wild card. Huge win for the Redbirds yesterday. Our Dolphins are sitting here at 1-0 after beating the Patriots yesterday. Leading the league. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It was a very good weekend sports-wise for you and I. It was a very good Sunday. It was... Correct. It was a very good Sunday. Uh, we're going to not even discuss what happened on Saturday for no, some no. of our teams. Yeah, great for <laughs> our Mizzou Tigers and our Fighting Illini. Yeah. But we'll get them next time. And the Cardinals take two of three. And Michelle, the Cardinals are absolutely rolling in September. They are now uh, five... No, six and six in September. They're they're at five hundred in September, and they're only one game out of the National League Wild Card race spot. They've won four of six, so they are rolling, taking a huge series versus the Reds. And it's good to see Nolan Arenado getting hot. This is something that the Cardinals need. And he told Greg Amzinger that they were going to play in the wild card. So it seems like he is ready to be the one to lead the charge to make sure that his uh, prognostication becomes a reality. Big game winning home run on Saturday. And then yesterday, first inning, the Cardinals are going to send Jay Happ to the mound. And they're, they're against Sonny Gray. Runner aboard Arenado for his first at bat. And the 2 0. Arenado with number 31. In the deep left. Off the Big Mac Back to back days with two run blasts. And it's 2 0. St. Louis. And Jay Happ and the Cardinal pitching staff made that hold up. Happ went five and a third, allowed only two hits. Garcia with a scoreless inning. He allowed a hit and struck out two. What a revelation Luis Garcia has been. So yes. has TJ McFarland, who went two thirds of an inning, and then Cabrera and Gallegos cleaning things up. And glad that Arenado got that early home run because Sonny Gray went seven innings. He allowed only two runs on three hits all day long. For sure. And uh, circling back to Happ, it's good to see that outing, especially after the last outing he had where he just lasted one inning. I know that post game, he said it cost him several nights sleep mm-hmm. that last outing. I believe it was on September 1st, maybe. Um, either way, it's good to see him rounding out and bouncing back from, from that last outing. Down the stretch here in the last... 17 or so games, the Cardinals will need their veteran left-handers to step up. Doesn't look like they're getting Flaherty back as a starter, maybe out of the bullpen. So you're going to count on Happ and Lester, in addition to Wayno, who pitches against the Mets tonight. And the Cardinals are just going to have to rely on people that they didn't think they were going to have to rely on on opening day. Who thought we would be talking about Garcia and McFarland and how important they've been? <laughs> that is not something I think we thought would be part of the conversation on September 13th. And I'm sure Michelle will go 
got get a lot of texts throughout the course of the day with the Cardinals only being a game out and the Cardinals going out and getting Lester and Happ and McFarland and Garcia. I'm sure the praise for John Mozeliak will be effusive throughout the course of the morning here on the text line and on the Twitter machine. Yeah, of course. I'm sure that the, everyone is waking up in St. Louis this morning. They're saying the Cardinals are a game out of this. They can actually do this. And they're rounding out into a favorable part of their schedule. Not only are they going to play the Padres coming up, uh, you have a chance versus the Brewers. And then you're, you have two series versus the Cubs. You could, They could really do this and sneak yeah. into the postseason. And I'm sure everyone is going to be talking about John Mozeliak and some of the moves he made and giving him credit. Think about yesterday's win. Hap starts, then Garcia and McFarland before you get to Cabrera and Gallegos. And by the way, Cabrera was the Hap trade. Gallegos was, was the Luke Voigt trade. And Arnato drives in the only runs of the game for the Cardinals. John Mosaic's fingerprints all over. Genius. Total <laughs> genius. Now, another genius before the game had suggested that Nolan Arenado was getting ready to go on a hot streak. Why did Mike Schilt think that, and does he feel validated afterwards? Well, he's a good player, so it's not like I'm going out on a crazy ledge here. The guy's always, you know, I feel like he's always taking good at-bats and is, is, um, is productive. So, um, But he's just a really good player, and he's a guy that um, I know has worked hard all season and is just going to take his good at-bats, and when he does that, he's going to... He's going to give us everything he's got, and he's going to be productive for us. Huge swing today to get us on the board in that first, and pitchers stepped up, boy. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. And so the Cardinals do move within a game. The Dodgers absolutely drilled the Padres 8 to nothing. Max Scherzer perfect for 8 and a third, and he is able to collect his 3,000th career strikeout. 19th pitcher to get his 3,000th career strikeout. He's Josiah Young winner in the National League. I believe he is. Absolutely. Unbelievable performance again out of him. Um, and Randy, to no surprise, the texts are rolling in about the Cardinals. Can I read you a few? Yeah, let's get a couple. 15 games out is not good, guys. Most sucks. Schilt sucks. They have given away 23 games. That's one, from 314. One game out. Hello. <laughs> from the 618, Mosaic lucked into this success with Lester and Hap. Fire him. Just kidding. Great moves. Go Cardinals. Thank you, 618. <laughs> Thanks for the text. We do appreciate it. Elsewhere in the, in the race for the wild card spot, by the way, the Mets and the I don't know if people were watching last night, but what a fun game between the Mets and the Yankees. Francisco Lindor hit three home runs. After his second home run, Giancarlo Stanton had suggested, or no, the the Mets thought that Stanton and the Yankees were stealing signs. And so uh, Francisco Lindor rounds the bases, rounds second and out to left field acts like he's whistling because that was the way that the Mets were alleging that the Yankees stole signs. Stanton comes up and hits a home run and literally stops between second and third to talk to Francisco Lindor. Then Lindor wound up hitting a third home run of the game and the Mets won and knocked off the Yankees who are absolutely reeling but it was great to see the Subway Series have that much chippiness best Subway Series in a long time and I love the fire out of those two teams this is the stuff that baseball needs I I love when you see stuff like that out of guys tonight Wayno pitches in New York against the Mets and Wayno will pitch against a pitcher that's older than he is 41 year old Rich Hill goes against Wayno tonight and you'll see that game 610 on Bally Sports Saturday the Brewers with a combined no hitter Corbin Burns and Josh Hader, the ninth no-hitter of the MLB season. And Michelle, the old record was seven. So either pitching is great or offense is awful. And it might be both. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think both can exist at the same time. Yeah, The Giants now have won eight in a row. They're 93-50. and 50. Wow. They still lead the Dodgers. And 
They are the biggest surprise for me this season. It's been amazing. Speaking of things that aren't surprises, the Miami Dolphins mm-hmm. win their opener yesterday, mm-hmm. 17-16 over the pretty hapless New England Patriots. One touchdown in an NFL game? That's Mac, it? Mac Jones debut? Yeah, yeah, r- terrific. We're going to talk about that later. It has to be pretty sweet, though, for the Dolphins and their fans to get to spoil that party. After the after the Patriots have been so dominant for so long in that division, for it to be mm-hmm. Mac Jones's big unveiling for the Patriots, supposed to be the next coming of Tom Brady. He was the chosen one from Bill Belichick. And for the Dolphins to be able to squeak out a win and ruin his debut, yep. good day for us. And as we wake up this morning and we look at our AFC East, standings. Not only did the Patriots lose, but the Buffalo Bills lost to Pittsburgh. Surprising. The New York Jets lost to Carolina. Not surprising. And so who's in first place in the AFC East? All by their lonesome. Fins up. There you go. Fins up, baby. Other games yesterday. I thought the shocker of the day was Philadelphia going into Atlanta and routing the Falcons 32-6. to And Jalen Hurts was great. Yes, he was. That was a surprise for me. And we're going to get into our four downs. Another, uh, And I'm going to really dive into this later. Another surprise to me, Randy, was what the Green Bay Packers looked like yesterday. Oh, man. Now, I've never liked their new defensive coordinator, Joe Barry. He was the defensive coordinator when the uh, Lions went 0-16. And he's just kind of been on the fringes of the the McVeigh tree. And well, that so, means he needs a job if he's on right. any branch of the McVeigh tree. Yeah. Of course, he needs a job. But he's a defensive guy. Still, it doesn't he's, matter, he's, Randy. I think his I think Sean McVeigh's valet guy has an assistant <laughs> coaching true, job somewhere. Right. <laughs> this guy's not a good defensive coordinator, and they're going to have problems defensively. But they looked bad offensively too. They couldn't get anything going against what is a good but not great New Orleans defense. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a shock, and I'm going to talk a lot about this coming up in what's our four down segment, 7.30, I believe. Um, Jameis Winston, we're going to talk about this in in detail because that was a shock to I, me. I loved that signing when they make it, and I love it even more now. The Bengals over the Vikings, 27-24 to 24 in overtime. Kirk Cousins. Uh, <laughs> Niners took care of the Lions, 41-33. By the way, all four teams in the NFC West are 1-0. Arizona goes to Tennessee and just hammers the Titans. The Seahawks go to Indianapolis and take care of the Colts. The Rams win big last night over the Bears and the Niners, as we mentioned, over the Lions. So good day for the NFC West. Chargers go to Washington and win. The Jaguars fall in their opener, even though... Trevor Lawrence passed for 332 yards. Houston, 37-21 over the Jags. Yeah. And I, Trevor I, Lawrence's first regular season loss. And first time he's ever thrown three interceptions in any game, high school, college, or the, obviously the NFL. Welcome to the pros, buddy. Yep. The Chiefs open up with a 33-29 win over the Browns. And the Giants fell at home to the Broncos 27-13. As we mentioned, Rams over the Bears 34-14. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> It was their their big unveiling of Stan's Palace. Oh, yeah. Great. And evidently, you know, I, I mentioned I was watching baseball, but I did get a lot of tweets that apparently early in the broadcast, Al Michaels said that Stan Kroenke has always wanted to build something like this in Los Angeles. No surprise there. No. Based on all the evidence that we have heard about. Right. During this legal process, we knew that this was always his plan. And Al Michaels and Stan are tight. I don't know if Al Michaels has been deposed for this, but Al Michaels knows a lot about what Stan Kroenke has done over the years. Should he be deposed? It wouldn't be a bad idea. And... Okay, we'll say it. Uh, Virginia beat Illinois 42-14. Kentucky beat Missouri 35-28. There you go. 
There you go. And there you have oh, it. And <laughs> one other note, we're going to talk to Nick Ragone later. Yes. The Ascension Charity Classic setting records. Biggest crowd for any Champions Tour event in the last five years and the biggest crowd ever for an inaugural event on the Champions Tour. And it was a great weekend. You had David Toms winning in a playoff over Dickie Pride. You had a huge crowd for Tom Watson and Craig Berube against Ozzy Smith and Jack Nicholas. And congratulations to the success of all the people out with the Ascension Charity Classic. It was quite a weekend. Yes, congratulations. We know how much hard work and effort went into the, the planning and the execution of this event, but it doesn't surprise me at all that St. Louis showed up for this. No. St. Louis, you're home for golf and also for big sporting events. And it'll be back next year, and I'm sure you'll hear people throughout the day talking about how great it was. So congratulations again to the Ascension Charity Classic and to David Toms for winning in a playoff. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and we're off and running. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Start one, bench one, cut one. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We do appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for a little game of start one, bench one. Cut one. And Michelle, I'll get things started. This is an homage to the achievement of Max Scherzer yesterday with his 3,000th strikeout. He becomes just the 19th pitcher to strike out 3,000. So start one, bench one, cut one. 3,000 strikeouts, 3,000 hits, or 500 home runs. Oh. And 500 home runs. Okay. I am going to I might even do it in that order 3,000 strikeouts 3,000 hits and 500 home runs all incredible feats but 3,000 strikeouts is not a huge group of people that were able to accomplish that Michelle this is actually pretty incredible you've had 19 people get 3,000 strikeouts 19 pitchers You've had 32 hitters get 3,000 hits, and you've had 28 hitters get 500 home runs, many of those with the help of performance enhancers. That was what I was thinking, too. I'm actually going to do the same thing. I am going to start 3,000 strikeouts. I am going to bench 3,000 hits, and because of the tainted nature of the home runs, I'm going to cut 500 home runs. All very hard things to accomplish, Mm -hmm. but... Yeah, I think 3,000 strikeouts might, if I'm looking at these from a difficulty standpoint or which one is more of a rarity, I'm definitely going 3,000 strikeouts first. And I'm going to, now if you would have said 700 home runs, that would have been a different conversation. But but the 500 club, I think that that's what I'll cut. I'll bench 3,000 hits and I'm going to start the 3,000 strikeouts. Um, Randy, looking at the standings, as we mentioned, your St. Louis Cardinals, a game out in the wild card. So I'm going to start one, bench one, cut one. The three teams behind the Dodgers in that race, the Padres, the Reds and the Cardinals start one, bench one, cut one. Okay, this is tough. From Uh, I think that they'll be able to secure the spot. To secure the spot. All right. I am going to... 
this might be a total homer pick, but I think the Cardinals are actually getting healthier and they're the healthiest of those three teams. I'm starting the Cardinals, benching the Reds and cutting the Padres, who lost Blake Snell over the weekend Mm -hmm. to an adductor muscle. They're already poor from a pitching standpoint. Their bullpen is awful. The Reds' bullpen is not much better. No. And the Cardinals, hey, give credit where it is due. Their rebuilt bullpen is performing at a very high level. And they're starting pitching, which if you had Jake Woodford and Johan Oviedo starting now, Cardinals wouldn't be in this hunt. The moves the Cardinals have made during the season to me, have put them in the best spot to challenge the Dodgers in the wild card game. I'm with you, and everything you just said I agree with, and I also think that I'm starting the Cardinals, benching the Reds and cutting the Padres. My decision goes into not only what we've seen out of the Cardinals, but more importantly, the little amount of confidence that I have in the Reds and the Padres, both in me quite too. the free fall. Yeah. So the Cardinals may just find their way <laughs> into this thing. They might stumble into it. And Regardless of who Wayno has to face in the wild card game, and I'm hoping that it's Wayno. We'll have to look and see. We'll have to see how things play out in terms of the schedule. But it's Wainwright against either Scherzer or Urias or Bueller. It'll be one of those three. Cardinals are going to be in trouble when they play that single game, but it'll be fun to get there. They better do some reconfiguration because there's no one other than Adam Wainwright that needs to get the ball if that's the no, case. No, But what if you need that game on Sunday to get in, though? Yikes. Yeah, what do you do then? If you need that game to get in, but you know you have that one game coming up, if you win, what do you do? Flaherty piggybacked by Hudson. (laughs) (laughs) I like where your head's thinking, Randy. Let's not go linear here. I love it. Emily, what do we have on the text line? From the 618 start one bench one cut one rivalry edition. Okay. Michigan versus Ohio State football. Duke versus North Carolina basketball. Red Sox versus Yankees. Okay. I am starting Michigan-Ohio State. I think that that is the best rivalry in sports. The hatred between Mm -hmm. those two schools and those two fan bases is so pure, and I love it. That team up north. That team up north. It's how they they (laughs) X out the letters. It's great. I then am going to go Red Sox-Yankees because both of those fan bases are inherently angry. And there's a lot, there's a, a lot of deep running hatred there. Um, and then I'm cutting Duke UNC, not because it's not great, but I have been to Duke UNC and it's an incredible environment, but it, it wasn't as hate filled as I would expect. And both programs have had so much success. Um, and I just think college basketball has taken um, a little bit of a step down in a lot of different ways. And with that comes some juice from from big rivalry games. I am going with you. I'm going to go Michigan, Ohio State to start Boston, the Yankees to bench and Duke, North Carolina to cut Boston. and The Yankees have such an incredible history and so many big games. Aaron blanking Boone oh, and yeah. Bucky blanking dent and three nothing and all of that stuff. Michigan, Ohio State speaks for itself. Yes. It's been around for 100 years. And Duke, North Carolina, while it is huge regionally because they're only eight miles apart, right? Yeah, they're very close. Something like that. I believe that Krzyzewski and Dean Smith and Roy Williams had as much to do with that rivalry as the regionality of it because those guys were great. Once Krzyzewski is gone after this year, I'll be interested to see if that rivalry is able to sustain because it didn't for a while when North Carolina had... 
the, the guys that succeeded uh, Dean Smith, and especially Matt, who's a coach that uh, was there for a while with the white hair, former North Carolina player. He got fired before he was before Roy. I forget his last name, but it wasn't a rivalry when he wasn't there. I, I have seen Michigan Ohio State be a rivalry without both teams being great. Still is a great rivalry now, even though Ohio State wins all the time. And Boston and the Yankees. Boston's in last place a couple of years ago, and they're still a great rivalry. Matt Doherty. Matt Doherty, that's it. Yeah, he was not great at North Carolina. Uh, I'm going to read this next one because I applaud the creativity. Okay. From the 636 Start One Bench One Cut One End of the World Edition. Okay. Robots taking over the world. Zombie apocalypse. Endless natural disasters. Robots taking over the world. Zombie apocalypse. And what was the last one? Endless natural natural disasters. Oh, God. Okay. And, and how are we ranking these? What we would like to happen or start one, pitch one, cut one? Yep. Okay. I am, uh, because I'm intrigued by the idea of the zombie apocalypse, I'm going to start the zombie apocalypse, okay? <laughs> okay. I am going to uh, I'm I'm going to bench robots because we brought that on ourselves. I'm not a big fan of that, but we'll be watching on the news as things that humankind built right. take over and end the world. And then natural disasters, the fact that you have to know that that's coming. You're watching that on TV mm-hmm. and it's just going to be miserable and terrifying. I'm going to I'm going to cut endless natural disasters. Okay. I'm going to work in reverse here. Or actually, I'll start. I'll go normally. So I am going to start robots because I think we have the greatest chance of defeating the robots. Okay. They may short circuit. Who knows if the programmers did it correctly? Spray water at them. Yeah. I was going to say there's ways to stop a robot. Um, I would just get a bunch of those big trucks with the with the roller and just mm-hmm. steamroll them. You know, there's okay. there's ways to attack the robots. Um, also, if we know anything about technology, just like your iPhone, eventually they're going to the battery will die. That's true. You know or if I mean? something goes wrong with forever. them. Yeah. yeah. To, to fix some people just have to unplug them and plug them back. Yeah, in. we'll figure right? that out. Yeah. Um, now, zombie apocalypse will be a little bit more tricky, but I do think there's a way to defeat them. I don't know if it's garlic. I don't know if it's a cross. I don't know if it's laser beams. Um, I'm sure with all of the information, though, that we have with zombies and zombie movies that we can figure out a way. And zombies cannot run. They aren't the most adept at being athletic. Right, generally? And I don't know if this is necessarily zombies, but isn't it like a full moon or something? Like something could happen where the zombies will be ineffective. Right? right? We could figure that out. Just drop them in acid. Right. Acid rain. Everybody go inside your house. We will be doing a spray of acid in the ozone and we'll kill the zombies. We we could do that. Again, we could put a robots. Let's get a think tank together. Some of our most brilliant minds as humans, we can defeat the zombies. Yeah, rather than making internet memes. And, and GIFs, which are spectacular. I love what you do on the interwebs. But let's use your <laughs> intelligence for good. Yeah, we'll figure it out. And that's why I'm cutting natural disasters, because Mother Nature is undefeated. Father Time and Mother Nature mm-hmm. are the two goats here. And we have seen natural disasters coming, and we cannot stop them. And we know the destruction that they cause. And if there's several natural, natural disasters coming at once, we're toast. Toast. We can't yeah. stop that. We can only hope to withstand it and endure it. Right. Like, so, zo- Give me yeah. the zombies and the robots all day. I don't want to deal with Mother Nature. I am with you 100%. There we go. From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one. Winston 
Rogers, Stafford. Huh. Based on this weekend <laughs> or in general, because that's a completely different yeah. conversation. If we're just talking about yesterday, yeah, you're, let's start, talk about yesterday. you're starting Jameis Winston, you're benching Matthew Stafford, and you're cutting Aaron Rodgers. If we're talking about strictly Sunday performances, that's what I'm doing. Right. I, I am doing that too. But for the season, Michelle, since Michael Thomas is coming back, I'm starting Jameis Winston, benching Aaron Rodgers, and then cutting Matthew Stafford. I knew you would not do anything but cut the Ram. Have to cut the ram. You have to cut the ram. But I'm just talking about performances yesterday. Aaron Rodgers, yikes. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, one thing that we can do, and this is just one natural disaster, but I think we can, you can just nuke hurricanes to stop them. I've heard that somewhere. You can just use nuclear stuff to to end. I've just heard that, Michelle. Coming up on 101 ESPN. And by the way, thanks for your text. Uh, We've got four downs from yesterday in the NFL on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Monday morning after Sunday one in the NFL, and it is time for Carriker and Smallman's four downs. First down. Randy, I want to kick things off with this one. The shock of the weekend, at least for me, wasn't just that the Saints absolutely smashed the Packers 38 to 3. It's the dominant fashion in which Jameis Winston made his Saints debut. There were a ton of storylines heading into this game, and I'm going to leave the Rodgers Packers stuff out of this and just focus on the Saints. Even with the Saints, there were a ton of storylines. It was their first game without Drew Brees. The Saints were displaced because of Hurricane Ida. They were playing this game in Jacksonville, and it was Jameis's first NFL start since Tampa Bay decided to replace him with Tom Brady back in the 2020 offseason. And I always say when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And I thought I knew who Jameis Winston is. I mean, this is the first player in league history to throw at least 30 touchdown passes and 30 interceptions in the same season. I believe Jameis Winston when he shows me that that's who he is. But either Sean Payton is a quarterback whisperer or he's a wizard or the change of sceneries did, did Jameis Winston wonders because he threw five touchdown passes with zero turnovers, including a 55 yard touchdown pass in the fourth quarter and after the game Jameis Winston was asked Jameis what contributed to this awesome debut for you how did the defense in the running game give overall shape to the way this played out Jameis well, I just think we were prepared you know one thing my uh, my trainer he told me he said what did he say he just told us to be prepared. He doesn't need to remember what the trainer told him because he went out there and he executed. Now, New Orleans defense was also amazing in this game. Two interceptions against the reigning MVP, Aaron Rodgers. They didn't let him get comfortable at all. And, Randy, it's just one game, and I'm going to need a bigger sample size before I become a Jameis Winston convert. But he was far and away the best quarterback in this game. He outplayed Aaron Rodgers. So go ahead, Jameis. Eat that W. You earned it. <laughs> wow. You are advocating eating the W. You never do that. But how can, how can you not after what you saw yesterday? It and was, again, I need a bigger sample size, but tip of the cap to Jameis. He looked great yesterday. Second down. All right, Michelle. Coming into the season, many, many people picked the Bills and the Browns to take steps forward and maybe even make the Super Bowl. 
a lot of other people thought, ah, this is going to be it for the Steelers. They were down last year. They lost their last five, lost in a playoff game. And so the Steelers are just going to be bad. But yesterday, Steelers got off to a bad start, down 10 nothing at the half. But they came back to win 23-16 over Buffalo. Now, in our ESPN pick and poll, 86% of the people picked the Bills to beat Pittsburgh. I was one of them. ESPN, <laughs> I, I picked the Steelers. Oh, look at you. ESPN's power rankings have Cleveland 7th and Buffalo 8th and the Steelers 15th. Don't ever sleep on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Come on, people. I love the upstart, but the Steelers have made the playoffs nine times. In 14 seasons under Mike Tomlin, 31 times in the last 50 years. Ben Roethlisberger was able to bring his team back yesterday. They played great defense. They have a great scheme because of Mike Tomlin and that staff. Let's give some credit where credit is due to Pittsburgh. Before we start anointing people, let's respect the people that have been there before. We always love to do that. We always love to throw dirt on the grave before there's a body in the coffin. We, yep. How many times have we done that with Tom Brady? We do it with the Steelers and this... It was our mistake. Yeah, they're And I say our as a collective because I was one of the people that did not pick the Steelers in this game. <laughs> and the Steelers, they've kind of got that devil magic thing going with Cleveland. Cincinnati probably isn't going to be great. The Ravens have lost their top three running backs now and their best cornerback. They've got all kinds of issues as they play Vegas tonight in their opener. I will not be surprised at all, Michelle, if we head into week 18, game 17 of the season, and the Steelers are just like the Cardinals, just always there. Third down. Seen. I'm wearing my birthday present cap that Michelle gave me, my Miami Dolphins cap. It is a glorious hat, Randy. You look great in it. And the Miami Dolphins, they did win yesterday, 1-0, our Dolphins. They spoiled Mac Jones' debut. They held on for a 17-16 win over the New England Patriots. So, yes, Randy, we as the Dolphins are 1-0 this season. Tua finished 16-27 of for 202 yards, a touchdown, one interception. And he also had a three-yard touchdown run. The real story here is Miami's defense. That looks legit. Mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to see how they fare versus is Josh Allen and the Bills coming up this weekend. Yes, because it's Monday, so this next weekend. And a lot of questions this season, heading into the season for the Dolphins about the offensive line, and I think those still persist after game one. But our head coach, Brian Flores, what did you think about the offensive line play yesterday? Without watching the film, it's hard to, to, to say you know, whether he played well or didn't. Look, there was a lot of corrections to make from the game, I'm sure. But, you know, I think Liam fought. Um, actually, I know that. I haven't watched the film, but I know he fought, it, he fought his butt off and um, and I'm sure there's some corrections to make really for him and really everyone on our team. And I hope they get those things corrected because that is one question I have coming out of this game is the offensive line play. Will they be able to protect Tua? They'll be fine. Okay, great. Just got to stay healthy. Thank you for putting me at ease. Yeah, we, we, we just got to stay <laughs> healthy. Fine. My, my only real question is about the running game, but that will get better as the season goes along. And the Dolphins are in a unique spot because they have so much draft capital that if they need to make a move in terms of making a trade, they can afford to make it. It's always sweet to start 1-0, but it's even sweeter, Randy, to beat the Patriots in it week one. Sure is. And along those lines, fourth down. Michelle, with the Patriots' loss to the Dolphins, Bill Belichick's record without Tom Brady as his starting quarterback fell to 61-72. and 72. 
the genius, 61 and 72. When Tom Brady is not his starting quarterback, that includes the Browns, and with Drew Bledsoe in New England since Brady was there. Now with Brady, Belichick 219 and 64, pretty darn good. 219 and 64 with, 61 and 72 without. But I'm reading these glowing reports about Mac Jones' first game as a starter. 29 of 39 for 281 yards and a touchdown and three field goals. He led them to one touchdown. So, yes, the guy is poised. Yes, he's won a championship in college. But with all due respect to Mac Jones, Kirk Cousins in his first start was 26 of 37 for 329. You like that? Yeah, I like that better. I do. Andy Dalton in his first start in the show, 27 of 41 for 332 yards. Better than Mac Jones. And he did it with the Bengals. Belichick took Brady in the sixth round. He's also taken Rohan Davey at quarterback. He's taken Ryan Mallett at quarterback. He's taken Kevin O'Connell at quarterback. He's taken Jimmy G and Jacoby Brissett. So let's just pump the brakes a little bit on Belichick's ability to pick out a great quarterback. You know what else we're going to pump the brakes on? Josh McDaniels. Yeah. You know, that's one thing that I don't think was talked about enough leading into this season. Everyone was very caught up in the Cam Newton, Mac Jones storyline. The fact that Mac Jones was selected over Cam Newton. And a lot of people point to the Brady-Belichick divide and the fact that Belichick hasn't had much much success without Brady. How about Josh McDaniels? What success has he had outside of Tom Brady and outside of Bill Belichick? So if you're a Pats fan, what confidence do you have that Josh McDaniels is going to be able to put Mac Jones in the best position to succeed? I can tell you this. In 2021 in the NFL, you are not going to win many games scoring only one touchdown. No, you are not. Josh. <laughs> yeah, Josh. <laughs> Hope you're listening, Josh. <laughs> he is. That's four downs with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way. We are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, we want your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Michelle, one of the headlines today and the latest news at Cardinals.com is closing speed on display as cards top reds. The Cardinals are 13 and 13 in their last 26 games, so take it or leave it. Closing speed is like the speed of a turtle. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) I will take that. It's better than everybody else. We're the fastest turtle. Hey, they're in position. <laughs> yep, that's all you can ask for. So what what kind of speed does that give the Reds and the Padres? Three-legged turtle? <laughs> yeah. By the way, An we elderly went Elderly turtle? Yeah, yeah, right. I <laughs> uh, went to the zoo about a week ago, and the uh, they've got the, the big turtles. They were moving. They were going faster than a normal turtle. Now, what kind of big turtles? Are we talking Galapagos turtles or yeah. what? And they've got five of them, and they're huge. They're moving along pretty well. Nice. Not like Paris and Bader fast. Not Tyler O'Neill fast? No, they, they, were, uh, they were moving like Yachty. So those Galapagos turtles, they have really long lifespans, right? Yeah, they're, they're like 150, I think. They, they live to be that, that old. Awesome. 
All right, Randy, let's talk a little football. So the 49ers, they traded up from number 12 to number three in the draft. They ended up securing Trey Lance. But according to Adam Schefter over the weekend, he had a report that the 49ers actually made that move in order to ensure that they could get Mac Jones because they were so convinced that the Patriots were in love with Mac Jones that they wanted to be able to make their choice quarterback-wise after Trevor Lawrence went to the Jaguars and the Jets picked Zach Wilson. So they elected not to pick Mac Jones. They were obviously right about the Patriots and their infatuation with Mac Jones. But take it or leave it, the 49ers will not regret selecting Trey Lance over Mac Jones with that number three pick. That is a great one. And I am going to take that only because of the faith that I have in Kyle Shanahan. I really do think it's a coin flip. I, Mac Jones is a guy that has a ton of experience. He's won a national championship. Trey Lance didn't even play last year. But athletically, obviously, the, the, the athleticism was seductive for mm-hmm. the Niners, and that's why they wound, wound up taking the guy. I believe that Kyle Shanahan can mold a guy into a quarterback and have him be pretty good. Mac Jones is more plug and play. So those are the differences. So I'm going to say they will not regret taking Lance over Jones. I thought that was an interesting report because you had heard so much leading up to the draft about Kyle Shanahan's love for Mac Jones and how a lot of people assumed that that would be the landing spot. So to find out that not only was that true, but that part of their motivation to move up was to get Mac Jones and then then they didn't end up going with him. I really like that they rolled the dice on Trey Lance. They, they must have really gone back and forth. So I'm really intrigued to see how that's going to play out. And he'll play this year. When Jimmy G gets hurt, he'll, <laughs> he'll play. People still haven't figured out that when Jimmy G plays, when he's healthy, he's good. Mm-hmm. The problem with him is that he's just not available all the time. And that's when they lose is when he, he hasn't been there. They need to have a decent backup. Emily, what do we have on the text line? From the 618, take it or leave it, the Cardinals will sneak into the wild card and play one game against the Dodgers and win win with Wayno on the bump. Take it. I'm not betting against Adam Wayne, right? Sorry, I'm not. Call me Harriet the Homer. Go ahead. Been called worse. No, I'm not. Cardinals, Dodgers postseason, it's worked out before. And I'm not betting against Adam Wainwright. I'm just not. So you are betting against Max Scherzer. Correct. I can't do that. (laughs) I can't. As much as I love Wayno, I'm going to take their lineup. I'm going to take the Dodgers lineup over the Cardinals lineup. But does Devil Magic not ring a bell? Who is going to be this year's Pete Cosma? My money's on Lars Newbar. That's a great call. Where is he? Does he play? I don't know. Do you play Carlson in center? Maybe it's like a late inning situation. I don't know. Okay. Lars Newbar. I like it. I don't know. Okay. I'm going to leave it. It's just his name has devil magic written all over it. It really does. It's got that energy, that fire. I could see it. From the 314, take it or leave it, Wayno will pitch at least seven innings with six or more strikeouts and no runs tonight. Oh, take that. Yeah, I'll take that. That's just who he is. That's seven, what he's been seven doing. Seven innings? Take yeah. it. Six strikeouts. Yeah, no runs. Yeah. Against the Mets? Come on. Yeah. From the 503, take it or leave it, the whole country outside of Ohio celebrated the Ducks win on Saturday. I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that, too. That was pretty cool. That was good for them. That was fun. And I think a lot of people are very sick of continued success for certain college football programs, Ohio State being one of them. And anyone that knows an Ohio State fan knows how insufferable they are. So for them to suffer a loss is... Hmm. Do you know an Ohio State football fan that is not insufferable? That's the better question. Love you guys. Yeah, they're good people. They're, you know, my Big Ten brothers and sisters, but you guys are a tad annoying. O-H-I-O. I don't want to hear it anymore. We get it. You're, you've been good. 
I think they're kind of like us. Oh, they're like Cardinals fans yeah. for sure. Yeah. Which is why I think I can say that because mm-hmm. I know you're insufferable because I identify us and you. <laughs> there you go. Good. Did you guys see the rubber duck that got left in the middle of the O? Yes. I like that. Line? It was great. By the way, from the 636, mark it down, 754 AM, Randy hates Wainwright. <laughs> Thank you, 636. We're marking it down. Are you going to be the one to tell him that you're picking Max Scherzer over him? I didn't say I was picking Max Scherzer. I said I was picking their lineup. Just saying. Everything else being equal. I, I like Scherzer against the, our, our lineup, our we, the Cardinals. And I like their lineup better. Take it or leave it. If we had Adam Wayne right in on this conversation, his positivity and his confidence in his team would convince you to pick the Cardinals. I would be swayed. <laughs> but then the game would happen and Mookie Betts would step to the plate. <laughs> And I would feel differently. From the 314, take it or leave it, Barry Odom will be a head coach of a Power 5 team within two years. Take it. He almost got the Texas job. Did he? Yeah, he was in the hunt for that. Now, as it turns out, they were just doing interviews. I think Sarkeesian was their guy. Yeah, I was going to say. (laughs) But he he was rumored for several jobs last offseason. So, yeah, I think he'll get a Power 5 gig. Good performance, by the way, by Arkansas against Texas on yes. Saturday night. So go Barry. Horns down. Yeah. From the 314, take it or leave it. You are okay with an infield of Goldie, Gorman, Edmund, and Arenado next year if it means signing Max Scherzer and a high-end reliever. Leave that. Now, am I okay with having Gorman as my DH and Sosa at short if I can get Max Scherzer and a reliever? Yes, I'll mm-hmm. take that. But I don't want... Tommy Edmund to be my everyday shortstop. But if Max Scherzer was there and you're you're in those negotiations and you re- you could take a do- like if it's pick door number one or door number two and door number one even with that collection right there has Max Scherzer in it are you really not going to go through that door? I still have four other pitchers that I have to pitch every day and I I but just don't now. I have Sosa on my team, and it, 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 this is a moot point, right? Because if I can have Sosa and Edmund and Gorman as a DH, I would absolutely like that. I'd love that. And I, I'm on record as saying, if if you give me one free agent this offseason, Max Scherzer's my guy. For sure. Over any shortstop. Which is why I thought you would go through door number one. You would take Max Scherzer. Well, I will take Max Scherzer, but I'm playing Sosa at short rather than Edmund. Got it. And I'm playing Edmund at second, and I'm playing Gorman at DH. Got it. From the 314, take it or leave it, the Cardinals shocked the league and played the Giants in a rematch (laughs) in the NLCS. NLCS? Wow. No, that can't happen. Because the Cardinals can only be the wild card team. And the Giants are going to finish with the best record. So I'm going to leave that. And by the way, it does kind of suck. The, the Giants and Dodgers would have to play in the first round against each other. Far and away, the two best teams in the league. And kind of like the Cardinals and the Cubs in 2015, that's a rule that has to be changed. That's how baseball go? Right? It is. From the 217, take it or leave it, fall is the best time of the year. I'll take, take it. it. Duh. Yeah, this was... No question. What a spectacular weekend. It was great. Uh, from the 636, it is National Peanut Day. Take it or leave it, sitting next to someone at a baseball game eating peanuts is annoying if they leave all their shells on the ground. I'm going to leave that. I don't mind the shells from a legume being on the ground here or there. <laughs> I don't. I, if they leave, I don't mind the sound of stepping on peanut shells. It doesn't bother me at all. No, it's kind of part of the ambiance of the ballpark, yeah. no? Um, no, peanut shells do not bother me. We are a peanut 
at the ballpark eating family. Um, and I would rather have peanut shells all over the ground than people that spill beer in the row behind you that leaks mm. down and gets on your stuff and your shoes Hate that. on the ground. So I'm cool with a peanut. You can just... The shells, you can just kick them out of the way. One time, and I don't believe they were shelled peanuts, but we had a producer board up here at the station that had a peanut allergy, and somebody actually ate peanuts behind the board without the knowledge that our board up had the peanut allergy. And so he's spinning all the dials back there and wound up having his face just blow it up and get real big. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it happens. Be careful of peanut allergies. Yeah, no doubt. When I feed my dogs that particular legume, when I put a peanut in their mouth, I say, I hope you don't have a peanut allergy, and then put it in their mouth. But I'm pretty sure that they don't because nothing has ever happened. Well, I've been on a plane before where they have not served peanuts or you can't mm-hmm. open the peanut bags because someone has a peanut allergy, a Good severe move. peanut allergy. Good move on the part of the flight attendants there. Yeah, for sure. All right, I got one more good one real quick. From the 314, take it or leave it, Randy should find the 2021 MLB hunk of metal and kiss it. You gotta take that. This is a take. You gotta take that. The precedent has been set that when I kiss the trophy, whether it is the glorified (laughs) chalice, the glorious chalice that is the Stanley Cup, and I did that during the playoffs. I was so mad at you. I've got photos. You were mad. I was. I was actually mad. But I've never been mad at Randy in my entire life except for that one moment. But thank you for doing it. We you win. were the reason. So if I can get my hands on the hunk of metal for 2021, I'll give it a kiss for everybody in Cardinal Nation. Do you think if the Blues would have lost in Game Seven? That you would have been the biggest villain in town because you I, kissed the cup? Uh, we are in St. Louis, Michelle. I would have been murdered. <laughs> like an international <laughs> soccer game, you have to be escorted Yep, out. yep, yep. There's no doubt about it. No, for I was like, Randy, we are so superstitious. You and I were going to buy, buy black salt on the black market to reverse the curse. And the number one thing is that you don't touch the cup before you've earned it. And here you are planting one on it. I ain't afeard. Hey, it worked. We win. It worked, but... So you're welcome, St. Louis. All roads lead to hardware from the 314. That's right. That's right. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks very much for your texts to Take It or Leave It. Coming up, the Cardinals take two of three from the Reds over the weekend. Here come the Cardinals on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker with you. And the Cardinals take two of three from Cincinnati and move within a game of the wild card spot in the National League Central. Today's fresh take, the Cardinals with a 2-0 win yesterday, Michelle. Dolan Arenado with the home run in the first inning. And of course, Jay Happ with another strong start for the Cardinals. Yeah, which is great considering his last performance versus the Reds on September 1st. He only lasted an inning. So it was nice for him to come back and get a redemption story versus Cincinnati. But, Randy, I'm I'm curious where your confidence level is with this Cardinals team because even though the Cardinals are a game out right now and they're right there on the precipice of getting into the postseason, I don't feel like a lot of Cardinals fans are still confident in this team. No, I don't believe they are. And like we said, they're 13-13 over their last 26. 
they're backing into this thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that you can be super confident. But being a postseason team is being a postseason team. And the Cardinals can't help it that everybody else in the National League pretty much sucks. Right? You've got <laughs> right. the Brewers. You've got the Giants. You've got the Dodgers. Those are the, really the only three really good teams in the league. Atlanta, I know, is going to win the East. But they aren't great. They, they'll lose in the first round of the playoffs. So all you can do is be better than everybody you need to be to make the playoffs. But I get why Cardinal fans are upset because they are 15 games behind the Brewers or however many it is, and they're way behind the Giants and the Dodgers. They aren't a team that you would expect to win a World Series. But the Cardinals also have a history. They won 83 games in 2006 and won the World Series. They won 90 games in 2011 and won the World Series. And in none of those years were they the best team. True. But it just feels like even since if we're going back to 2019 when the Cardinals were in the NLCS, yes, they were swept by the Nationals. But even when the Cardinals have been in the postseason the past couple years, it feels like that confidence factor is missing from the fan base or that excitement factor of the Cardinals are on the precipice of slash get into the postseason. That excitement is missing. Even the teams that didn't make it to the World Series, those playoff teams in uh, what was it, 14, 15? I feel like there was just so much more excitement around those teams. And maybe it's because you're coming off of a of a great World Series run. And even though you remove Albert Pujols, Tony La Russa, a lot of important pieces from that equation, there's still a lot of those factors there. So you still are riding that high maybe, or you feel a little bit more confident about those teams based on what you saw out of a lot of pieces of that group before. But after the, tw- after the 2019 postseason, I don't know if I've ever heard this fan base that angry or bummed out. You would have thought that they missed the playoffs rather than mm-hmm. got into the NLCS. And I think that that's carried over. And that that's something I'm going to be curious to see as we go down the, the stretch here is, are Cardinals fans excited about this? Or are they going to sit at home and say they're just going to get into the postseason? They might get bounced early and it's just the, the same old, same old. Well, the, there is an inherent dislike on the part of many of Mosellock. So it really doesn't matter, right? They're going to say, I hate this team because John Mozeliak is the president of baseball operations. But if Nolan Arenado is hot when they play the Dodgers in a wild card game, and it is Wainwright, I'll feel good about that. So will I. I I think that he'll, I think they've got guys capable of rising to the occasion. I just picked Antioli. I took it. In a Wayno Scherzer showdown, I chose the Cardinals because I have that much confidence in Adam Wainwright to at least put them in a position to win. I have a friend who, down the stretch in 2011, said that Tony Larusa had completely ruined the Cardinal organization <laughs> and he couldn't enjoy Cardinal baseball because of Tony Larusa. And there are people that feel that way about Mosaic. So it doesn't matter how many games they win, as long as Mo is in charge. I guarantee you, there will be people that will text in right now that say they could win a hundred games, and I wouldn't like the Cardinals because John Mosaic is their pobo because they're tired of him and they want something new and fresh like Neil Huntington to be their GM. What did your friend say after the Cardinals won the World Series? He still thought that. He thought that La Russa had ruined the organization. Then when they go back to the World Series in 2013, and organizationally they were great, obviously, for a long time, he still couldn't abide the fact that La Russa had been the guy in charge that won a World Series. And then the organization where his fingerprints were all over it with guys that never played for him, they, they were still winning. Some people just... 
they, they just don't like people. True, true. And they let that cloud yep. their love for their team. Here's a text from the 636. It has nothing to do with Mo, but Smallman just nailed my feelings here. I can't get excited about the playoffs because they ju- they just don't have what it takes to finish this. And that's, that was a prevailing sentiment in 2006, without question, that when they won 83 games and they were terrible down the stretch and Bob Nightingale picked the Tigers to win the World Series in three, that wasn't just a, a sentiment here in St. Louis. That was a sentiment around the country, that they just weren't good enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's like putting your emotions in bubble wrap. You don't want to pour hope into it because you don't think that they have that killer instinct or the talent or whatever bucket you want to, you know, describe this with. But I I understand that. I understand looking at this team and what you've seen this season, looking at the record and not wanting to get excited about just the playoffs because you don't think you can really go on that run. It is hard as a fan. You get emotionally invested. You you don't want to have that come down or you don't really want to put your confidence in something that you don't 100 percent believe in. And I think you can logically say, well, if there were more good teams in the league, they wouldn't be there. But that is logical. But the reality of the situation will be that if the Cardinals get in, they will have had the ability to back in. And we talk about the Cardinals dealing with Jack Flaherty not being around and the injuries that they've had to deal with and rebuilding the bullpen. Michelle, you you look at the Padres now with the problems that you Darvish is dealing with. They lose Snell over the course of the weekend. Fernando Tatis with the shoulder. They moved him back to shortstop now. You look at the Reds and the problems that they've had in their bullpen. A lot of teams have dealt with adversity. Mike Schilt said yesterday that the Cardinals, when he looks at the big picture for them, that they've had their fair share. I said the whole way. I mean, this is a club that, you know, has had its more than share of adversity. We've had a lot of moving parts, part of the gig. We get it. We've had some had some tough blows to some key members. We've had some tough games that, that we've been able to win a lot of. We've had a couple that really hurt the end. Um, but, you know, this is a team that's hungry. It's going to fight. We're going to stay together, and we're going to keep preparing, and we're going to continue to get after each other, get after everybody we play. And, you know, it's a talented team. And, and like Kamish said, man, we're, we're, in that, we're in that last turn around the stretch, man, and we're ready to go at it. And we're going we're gonna to go as hard as we can, as fast as we can, and whatever happens, happens. We're going to play as clean as we can, as tough as we can. And, you know, regardless of who we play, we're going to play and, and um, keep, keep, keep fighting. It's got to... If you're a fan of this team, you got to respect that and appreciate that. And I think fans of this team will respect and appreciate the fact that they're coming around the bend and it seems like they're putting themselves at least in a position to make the playoffs. However, yes, the Cardinals have dealt with a lot this season. When you lose your ace in, in Jack Flaherty at any point, that's going to be difficult. The Dodgers lost Trevor Bauer. Cody Bellinger, a former MVP, is hitting 160 for the Dodgers. You mentioned the Reds. You mentioned the Giants. Every team deals with injuries. And a lot of the teams that the Cardinals are chasing or at least in the race with also have dealt with a lot. And teams like the Dodgers go out and and realize that they have a really good team. They have a great chance to repeat. And so when something happens, they put their chips in. They go out, they get Trey mm-hmm. Turner, they get Max Scherzer. They go for it. And I give them all the credit in the world for doing that because there are a lot of teams that there's no chance they'd trade their top two prospects, but they want to win another World Series. And oh, by the way, if, even if the Cardinals had offered their top two prospects, Libertor and Gorman, 
in a deal to Washington for Scherzer and Turner, the Dodgers offer was better because their top two prospects were better than the Cardinals' top two prospects. That's how good the Dodgers are. Their organization is... They're the creme de la creme, and there's nobody close right now. Yankees aren't close. Astros aren't close. There's no organization that's doing it better than the Dodgers are. Right. But, but yes, the Cardinals have dealt with a lot, but, I mean, uh, we're getting so many texts. The Mets, Mets lost to Grom. The Brewers have had so many injuries. Right. Every team in baseball has dealt with a lot Right. This, this has been a, a weird year where there really isn't a team that hasn't had to deal with any adversity whatsoever. And, the, yeah, the Cardinals are in the same group, and if you can deal with adversity and still be in the playoff hunt on September 13th, that should be a good thing. For sure. But in many cases this year, it's not considered to be the case. <laughs> that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Next up, the Blues getting underway here in just a week or so. And we're going to talk to Chris Kerber about the start of training camp and who he's keeping an eye on. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joins us as he does every Monday here on 101 ESPN. And Kerbs, 12 days from today, we've got a preseason hockey game. Isn't that unbelievable? It's great. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm it. excited. I saw Ryan O'Reilly last night. I can't wait to get it going. And as training camp starts, I want to get from you. Obviously, we're all going to be intrigued by number 91 being on the ice. But based upon the last couple of years when the Blues have been knocked out in the first round, what are you going to be looking at? You know what? Cohesiveness. I I think that the one thing that is something, you know, that's kind of been missing since the bubble in Edmonton, you know, coming out of the, 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 the lockdown and things, this team just hasn't had that, that togetherness that you feel. And, now, maybe it's been there, and because we weren't able to be around the team, you didn't feel it as much, but it didn't look cohesive on the ice. So I think the fact that Craig Berube uh, and this team has had a full offseason, I think that they're, the fact that they're going to have a full training camp, there's going to be eight preseason games to take a good look at some guys, you know, and, and then get some other guys in going. Um, I think that that's going to bode well for this hockey team. Plus, you know, you've got the new additions of Butchnevich and Brandon Saad. You know that that need to work in, that need to get to know their teammates even better, and I I think that that's going to be a key. So, for me in the early going, I think it's going to be overall cohesiveness and, and an all around level of team play. Curves, we've talked a lot about Colton Pareko. We've certainly talked a lot about Vladimir Tarasenko. You mentioned the new additions in Bujnevich and and Saad. Who's somebody on this team that you think we aren't talking about enough that could be a major X factor heading into this season? Well, I, I, you know what, the, to, to me, one of the real keys to the season, and I, I haven't, uh, we, we've got the, the charity golf tournament today for the team and for Blues for Kids, so may find out a little bit more here. But um, I'd like to kind of get an update on the health and, and the overall status of Oscar Sundquist. I, I think that the fact that this guy can slide into a top-line uh, role, a second-line role, play third, fourth-line roles, and be effective in every aspect of the game in that role is such a... a, a a linchpin to, to what is important for this hockey team. So I think one of those things, Michelle, is is his overall health. And then, you know, the the other question that I think is going to to really keep an eye on going into this training camp is going to be what does the bottom half of the Blues defense shape out to look like? How does Nico Mikola look? 
does Jake Wallman continue what, what started last season towards the end of the year when he started playing really well? Does a Scott Perunovich come in and, and, and open some eyes and, and take some ice time? How, how does all that play out in rounding out where the Blues are defensively? And That, that to me, is going to be another real big storyline to watch. Curbs, one thing that happened last year is that because of a, a rough couple of games to start his career, Ville Husso wound up with not great numbers, but really after his first two or three games, he was terrific as a backup, but it's going to be different over the course of 82 games as opposed to 56. I'm interested to see how much he gets used and what he does this year heading into his second year. Yeah, assuming your goaltenders stay healthy, you know, you're still looking at a situation where most starting goaltenders are playing 55 to 60 games, Mm -hmm. which still is going to leave you, you know, in that 22 to 25 range for that uh, backup goaltender. And then they need to be successful ones. You, you know how important those points are, no matter who you're playing on a night in night out basis. So he had a real hiccup for some reason with that first shot of the game for a while, you know, but when he settled in, he played really, really well and was really athletic, which you can understand why the St. Louis blues have been high on him for quite some time. So yeah, he's going to be an important one from a consistency standpoint, you know, and then frankly, Randy, beyond that, I, I guess you still have to watch the depth below that. And then, and, and who's going to fill in if, if one of those guys ends up going down? So uh, I don't, I don't know that the Blues are as deep in the goaltending area maybe as they've been recently. So the help of those two guys, especially Jordan Bennington, is going to be really important. Curbs, I wanted to ask you about David Backus because we haven't spoken to you since he signed the one-day contract with the Blues and officially retired from the NHL. I think a lot of people have assumed or hoped that David Backus could assume some sort of role within the Blues organization. But what do you think he would be good at when you look at his future, his post-playing career? Well, I mean, I think one of the values that somebody like a David Backus or, or just about any player that is interested in hockey offices shortly after they retire bring is frankly a chance to step in and just kind of learn what being part of hockey ops is all about. But what they bring is they bring an invaluable knowledge of things that are really fresh on the ice, you know, and it's something that scouts can scout. You can talk to coaches, you can talk to other GMs or assistant GMs and get their thoughts and ideas of how a guy is going. Right. But somebody right off the ice can sit there and say, no, I played against him. This is, this is what we saw when we were out there. No, I knew that we could run the guy out of the game if we did this, you know, or, Maybe it's a hey, when when things got real tight, this guy's game really picked up. He's a good one. So I, you know, to me, a role right off the bat for somebody like David is one where you can just come in and you can advise a team, you know, on, on some of the guys that are still playing when they're looking at potential trades, scouting reports, things along those kind of lines. But um, I, I get the sense from talking with him, Michelle, though, that, you know, right now with the age of his kids and all that, it, it, it's time to play dad. And uh, and and you know and not jam your schedule up too much so where you can't be uh, around from the family standpoint the way you want to be. Curbs, one other thing from me, and that's in regards to Perunovic. You mentioned him earlier, and a few years ago, camp started. Then the Blues had their uh, the the prospect camp up in Traverse City, and that's when they really got an eyeful of Colton Pareko. They made him the captain of their prospects camp team, and he kind of took charge up there. I, I wonder if Perunovic could be on a similar path not that he would start opening night and play 82 games but that that prospect camp seems to be a great opportunity for a young player to really catch a team's eye no and and it does you know his last year at minnesota duluth you know when he when he just dominated you know and he played those three years because he wanted to go back and win national championships he averaged over a point a game now a lot of those points were in assists 
for, you know, from an offensive standpoint, but he's got that ability. If you're the Blues and you want to elevate somebody, you're right. That, that's an opportunity to kind of put him in a leadership role uh, you know, in that camp and, let, and see how things respond. The other guy that's actually going to that camp, to me, that is a real interesting one to watch, Randy, would be would be Dakota Joshua. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw we saw Dakota Joshua come in, and when they put him in the lineup, and, and he, he looked, he was a winger, and they decided, well, let's put him at center. He never looked out of place. I mean, sure, there were going to be some mistakes or two, but he never seemed to look out of place. He put himself in the right position, you know, and, and started making plays on the ice. Those are the two guys that I think going into this prospect camp. Can, can assume leadership roles, can can take on the responsibilities, and then they can use that as a real stepping stone. And the advantage that they're going to have is they're going to be playing in a camp-type setting, they're going to be playing some games, and then when they come back to the main camp after that, they will already have the juices going, which gives them a slight opportunity, as other guys are kind of just getting started from a camp perspective, to really shine and stand out a little bit, and they need to do it. And go back to what we've talked about a lot over the last few years. Every single year you get into this, right? Okay, what's what's uh, what, what's Robert Thomas going to do? What's Zach Sanford going to do? What's Sammy Blay going to do? You know, all, all the, the young guys. These guys are now in that category. What are they going to do to force Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong's hand that says, okay, they have to be in the lineup. They've earned it, and I want them in the lineup. And whose spot are they going to take? Much like, as you mentioned, Colton Pareko did and Joel Edmondson did a few years ago yeah. when it looked like it was supposed to be two other guys coming in and, and taking it. Those guys took jobs. Finally, as you prepare for the Blues for Kids Golf Tournament, how is Chris Kerber's sweet left-handed golf swing doing? <laughs> uh, you know what? It's it's actually been okay. It's been pretty decent uh, lately. The putting has, been, has actually surprised me a little bit. So I've cut down on the slice. I can keep more balls in play. I still don't get any height off of some of my clubs like some guys do. i got a sweeping swing rather than a come-down swing mm-hmm. on the ball. So, uh, But it'll be good. The tournament's out of Belle Reve. They raise a ton of money for Blues for Kids. You know, Blues for Kids, has has distributed over $9.5 million in the community and $5 million of that in the last five years alone. I mean, it's really uh, really something, and it's the support of the uh, the business leaders and these great companies that help us out to do it. So that it'll be a great day out there today. That's awesome. Have a great time, Curbs. Always appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, you got it. Have an awesome week, you two. You too. See you later. 12 days from today, the first Blues preseason game. Hard to believe. It gets here in a hurry. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Next up, the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Welcome to the Monday edition of The Fight here on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. This might be everyone's favorite segment of the show, Emily. I went to the Cardinals game two nights in a row. Both nights, people coming up to me tell me they sit in their car to play the fight versus Randy every day. When I go up to my dad's dealership, they're always like, oh, man, that's your, your questions were great. Or like, oh, this is my favorite. Yeah, it's that's the thing everyone always stops me to talk about when I go up there. And you know what I tell everyone? You should text in. Yeah. And you should be like Josh, who's our competition today, and challenge Randy. Uh, good morning, Josh. How are you? I am great. How are you guys? We're doing awesome. How was your weekend? Did you do anything fun? 
Yes, we had a slam-packed weekend full of youth sports. We uh, we had a little bit of church in there as well, so it was a good weekend. Awesome. Well, hopefully the Lord has your back today, Josh, because you're going against Megamind. It is. He's Megamind, and I'm average Josh, <laughs> not, uh, not Megamind. Well, Emily and I believe in you, Josh, so good luck today. Thank you. All right, question number one, and thank you, Emily, for this one, because I know you did this for me. McLaren driver Daniel Ricciardo won the Italian Grand Prix yesterday, his first Formula One win since Monaco in 2018. My boy Danny all the way back. Who has the most F1 Grand Prix wins? Is it Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, or Nicky Lauda? Lewis Hamilton. Walter Johnson reached 3,000 career strikeouts in 1923, the first pitcher to do so. It took 51 years for someone to join him. Who was it? Was it Nolan Ryan, Bob Gibson, or Tom Seaver? Could you repeat that one real quick? Absolutely. Walter Johnson reached 3,000 career strikeouts in 1923, the first pitcher to do so. It took 51 years for someone to join him. Who was it? Was it Nolan Ryan, Bob Gibson, or Tom Seaver? 1974. Uh, I'm going to go Gibby. Bob Gibson. Question number three for you, Josh. Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray had a great game yesterday, throwing for four touchdowns and taking one in himself in the team's 38-13 win over Tennessee. Murray is currently tied for eighth on Arizona's all-time passing touchdown list. Who is first? Is it Carson Palmer, Kurt Warner, or Jim Hart? Oh... You guys, these are good questions today. Emily. Real good questions. Tip of the cap. Thank you. Uh, I am going to go with uh, Carson Palmer. And on this date in 1969, Bobby Bonds became the fourth player in MLB history to join the 30-30 club. Who is the most recent? Is it Ronald Acuna Jr., Christian Yelich, or Mookie Betts? I believe it is Christian Yelich. All right. Good fight from Josh checking our score. Randy's on his way in. Josh, I could feel you wavering back and forth on question number three. Am I correct? That is correct. Yes. Yeah. Good options there from Emily on that one because you could really make a case for all three. All right. Randy is getting settled in. Love that Dolphins hat, Randy. Thank you. Thank you for it. You're welcome. Say good morning to Josh. Josh, good morning. Thanks for listening. How are you doing? Hey, I, uh, I've been better, man. I uh, th- Those questions, Emily, she dialed up some good ones today. <laughs> okay, well, hopefully they're, they're as good for me as they were for you. And Randy, well, let's hope. Randy, I have to warn you, Josh was telling us about his weekend, and he went to church yesterday, so the Lord has his back on this one. And let me tell you, the last time I faced competition that had the Lord's ear, it was Illinois versus Loyola in the tournament, and you know how that oh, turned man, out. So yes, I'm just saying. Gene, yikes. <laughs> Probably okay, should have said a prayer yesterday. Good point. All right? Okay. Just telling you. So good luck, Randy, to you. Thank you. I need it. <laughs> Question number one. McLaren driver Daniel Ricciardo won the Italian Grand Prix yesterday. Yes. His first Formula One win since Monaco 2018. Awesome day. Mm-hmm. Who has the the most F1 Grand Prix wins? Okay. Uh, I'm going to do the lifeline. I think I actually know this, but I don't remember the name right off the top of my head. Oh, I was so say. when I hear the name, I'll pass it along. Is it Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, or Nicky Lauda? I was... Nikki Lauda died early. I'm going to go with Lewis Hamilton. That was a question for Michelle, by the way. Okay, good. So sorry if you didn't like it. Daniel Ricciardo's my guy. Oh. And he wins the Italian Grand Prix. He wins at Monza. Huge. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Huge. 
Walter Johnson reached 3,000 career strikeouts in 1923, the first pitcher to do so. It took 51 years for someone to join him. Who was it? What was the year that he did it? 1923. So 50 years later would have been Bob Gibson, I believe, in 1974. Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray had a great game yesterday, throwing for four touchdowns. He took one in himself in the team's 38-13 win over Tennessee. Murray is currently tied for eighth on Arizona's all-time passing touchdowns list. Who's number one? Jim Hart. And on this day in 1969, Bobby Bonds became the fourth player in MLB history to join the 30-30 club. Who was the most recent? Most recent 30-30 guy. I... Let's see. Lindor has done it, but I don't know if he did it two years ago. Nobody obviously did it last year. But I will... uh, I'll roll the the dice on Frankie Lindor. We've got a tie, ladies and gentlemen. We have a tie on a Monday. I need to stand up out of my chair because this is going to be a good one. Josh has some strong competition today, Randy. Both of you got Mm. three correct, by the way. Each one of you got a different one incorrect, Mm. by the way, which we'll reveal here in a second. All right, Josh, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy's going to write down his answer on his ever-dwindling sheet of Edward Jones Dome Rams. Plenty more where they paper there. You're going to get first crack at this. We're going to give you about 10 seconds to give us your answer. Randy will reveal what he has written down. First person to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Are you ready, Josh? I'm ready. Randy, are you ready? I am ready as well. Here, gentlemen, is your tiebreaker question. How many passing touchdowns did Tua Tunga Vailoa have in his sophomore year at Alabama? Which was 2018. Which was 2018. How many passing touchdowns did Tua have in his sophomore year at Alabama 2018? Okay, I am going to go with. Okay. Do I. do I, you want me to go ahead and, and share my answer now, or yes, do ahead. I wait? Go ahead. go ahead, Josh. Okay. I am going to go with 34. 34. Strong guess. Randy. 37. 37. Oh, that's tight, Randy. Come on. Give me some space. I know this is almost like a Price is Right I had showcase to, I, showdown. I, I wrote it down before you even said 34. He did. I know. I, I know. Confirm. I believe you. He wrote it down immediately using a Sharpie. Can confirm. Emily, let us know who won. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Josh, you were so close. You were so close, but Randy edged you out. He was closer to the pin and the tiebreaker. So let's roll it back. The... The driver with the most F1 Grand Prix wins is Lewis Hamilton with 99. And by the way, somebody texted in that Nikki Lauda is still alive. So I didn't know that. He died in 2019. He did. I, I did. Double checked. Yes. Okay. Yes. So he did, he's not still alive. So breaking so, news to a texter here. Yeah. Nikki Lauda. <laughs> Dead. No longer with us. Uh, Lewis Hamilton. Very scary crash, by the way, over the weekend to the halo. Probably oh, yeah. saved his uh, life. Really scary. So Walter Johnson. So, uh, the halo avoided him from prevented him from getting a halo. Correct. Got Correct. It. Yes. Walter Johnson reached 3,000 career strikeouts in 1923. It was the first pitcher to do so. 51 years for Bob Gibson to join him. July 17th, 1974 was the date in which Gibby reached that feat. The quarterback that is number one on Arizona. 
Arizona's all-time passing touchdowns list is Jim Hart with 209. Um, Kurt Warner is fifth on that list with 100. Carson Palmer is fourth with 105. Mm. Those are the other options. And the most recent player to join the 30-30 club is Christian Yelich, September 7th, 2019. The other options, Randy, were Ronald Acuna Jr., August 23rd, 2019, or Mookie Betts, which was September 26th, 2018. And the tiebreaker question, how many passing touchdowns did Tua have in his sophomore year at Alabama? Randy guessed 37. Josh guessed 34. The correct answer... Both of you underestimated Tua a bit. 43. Hmm. 43 passing touchdowns for Tua at Alabama in 2018. But, Josh, incredible fight out of you. Thank you for competing. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a great week. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Josh. Take care. Josh with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, it was a very successful weekend at Norwood Hills Country Club in the inaugural Ascension Charity Classic presented by Emerson. Nick Ragone is going to join us to talk about the successes next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy, and what a weekend it was over at Norwood Hills Country Club for the inaugural Ascension Charity Classic presented by Emerson. And joining us now is Nick Ragone from Ascension. And we've talked to him a lot leading up to the tournament, which was an uh, just an amazing success. Nick, first of all, thanks for joining us this morning, and congratulations on the success of the tournament over the weekend. You know, uh, thank you, Randy and Michelle. And, I, um, you know, if I try to script this whole week and then the Sunday, uh, I couldn't have done it because nobody would have believed it, the script, the perfect weather, the field, the attendance, uh, the 9-11 ceremony we did on Saturday. And then to have that ending, I just have to say, with David Toms and Dickie making that putt, going into a playoff, David winning it, which he's an amazing, gracious, humble man. And then for him, on the Golf Channel, fighting back tears unsolicited to say this felt like a PGA Tour event and that made a difference. It just in an instant validated everything that I've been saying on your show and elsewhere for the last two years, which is this is going to be special. And I'm I, I just, I, you know, I, I'm choking back tears. It's just I cannot believe it how perfectly it went. Well, it was a great weekend, Nick, and record-setting crowds. We knew there was going to be a lot of fans there, but they really showed up to support. What was the response? that you were hearing from the golfers or from out-of-towners who came about the support that St. Louis showed this event? You know, on Sunday, uh, I wanted to thank a few of the guys as they were coming in and invite them back. And they, they came and found me and thanked me and said, we are coming back. And I will tell you, I mean, Ernie Els committed already. And, and not only are they coming back, they raved about the course. They raved about the accommodations. They raved about, they knew the mission. They were like, we love that you're trying to support charities in this part of town. And so, they, and here's the best part. A bunch of the guys, and I'm not going to name names, big name players said, we're coming back and we're going to make sure whoever wasn't in the field this year is coming next year. We want them to come experience. And you could kind of figure out some of those names, but they said that this is an elite event. They were just, I mean, Bernard Longer called Norwood an old, beautiful gem. Um, Ernie Yell said, I love this place. These are public quotes. It just, they really, really affirmed what we're trying to do. And let's give a ton of credit to the superintendent over there. I was actually walking with Jay Delsing on Saturday, and he was saying, this is as nice as any course I've ever been on on the tour. And the, the course was just in magnificent shape. 
Yeah, Mike Knoll and his team have done an extraordinary job. The, uh, I mean, I, I heard I was with Jose Maria Olapabal a week before on Thursday. He came in early to practice, and I followed him a few holes, and he said to me, these are the best greens and the best fairways we've seen in two years. And this is Jose Maria. He's played on some good courses. And to a person, I heard that. And I want to also, I'd be remiss in not thanking the entire team, my colleague Steve Spratt, who put this together, um, Dan Sullivan, Tim Heitman, Alonzo Bird. We had a 1,000 volunteers, and I know I saw you out there, Randy, it takes a village to put together a tournament. A thousand volunteers, by the way, is more than most tournaments have, and we had to cap it at a thousand. But the team that put this together, it was flawless. I've heard nothing but compliments about the parking, the accommodations, food service. I mean, to do that in year one, uh, we're going to make it better. But boy, what a great start. Nick, relative to other recent Champions Tour events, do you have numbers yet? Do you have attendance numbers to show how the Ascension stacks up? Yeah, I do. Um, so for the week, we did 51,000 fans, which to put that in perspective, the commissioner said if you do 30,000, which is the number I was thinking, it'd be their best week of the year. So we did 51,000. It was the best week in five years. It was the most ever in the history of the tour for a first-time event. Uh, and it, other than the majors, it was the biggest event in, in five years. So to do that in year one, I, look, I've been uh, saying for two years that this was going to happen. And anybody who knows St. Louis sports knew that we were going to come out and support it. But for the rest of the country, if you saw the golf channel, coverage, um, they were uh, effusive in their praise of St. Louis again doing it, comparing it to the great event at Bell Reve in 2018. And I think as we sell sports, it's part of the charm of our region. We have another great proof point that talks about why this is the best sports region in the country. Nick, this was a successful re- uh, weekend by any measure, but what's something that maybe you took away from this weekend that you would like to maybe alter or add moving forward? Um, you know, we're, we're going to build on stuff and make it better. I can tell you the 17th hole turned out to be a really fun area. That was where club three, one, four was. And the build out on 17 was great. And we're, um, we're going to continue to build that out. You know, it seemed like that was kind of where the, the, the party was happening down there. And I got a lot of great feedback on that. And we're, we're thinking about branding 17, uh, you know, 17 on the Hill and because it's an amphitheater and maybe we'll bring in some of the food from the Hill because we had the food trucks there and that, that seemed to be a big hit. So I think next year we're going to brand that 17 on the Hill and, kind of make it our version of not quite what they have at the waste management. We want to be a bit more uh, subdued and civil, but make that the fun party area. I, uh, a lot of my colleagues who said, you know, can we go down there and hang out for a while? I said, absolutely, go mingle down there. But that seemed to be a really fun spot. And finally, Nick Ragone of the Ascension Charity Classic, you mentioned the golfers are going to tell other golfers about the event. I would hope that of those 51,000 over the weekend, that a lot more will hear about the great things that were prov- provided to them over the course of the weekend and the the entertainment, the ambiance, the food trucks, as you mentioned, because as a fan, I thought it was awesome. And I'm telling everybody right now, next year when the Ascension is, is back, people should buy tickets because it's really, really a cool event to go to. I mean, absolutely. Look, the next year's attendance will be big. And I could tell you, I've gotten 100 texts. I haven't responded. So to all those out there, I will get back to you. But I've already gotten re-ups, you know, for pro-am. Not re-ups, but like we need four pro-ams. I have several sponsors who said, you know, we missed out, but we want in. It, You know, look, it was hard for people to understand. I've been talking about this for two years and, and sort of with some people understanding. And it's hard to understand a vision before it happens. This week when it happened, people said, oh, we get it. And so uh, it's going to make – 
fan attendance, sponsorship, corporate engagement. And at the end of the day, the big winner here is the Urban League, the Boys and Girls Club, and Mary Grove. I was thrilled that all three of their leaders were out there most of the week. They were delighted. The more we do, the more attendance, the more sponsorship, the more programs, the more they get. And at the end of the day, that's what this is about. David Thomas is our champion. I couldn't be more proud of somebody who can represent Ascension. He just stands for everything we do. But the first champion is the Urban League Boys and Girls Club in Mary Grove, and that's really what this is about. Nick, congratulations. Thanks so much. And I told you yesterday, we'll be out there on the Friday of the tournament next year. Michelle and I will be out there broadcasting. Randy, thank you. Michelle, thank you. You guys have been uh, supporters and believers in this, and I can't tell you how much that means to me. So thank you. We're thrilled by it. Have a great day. You too. That is Nick Ragone of the Ascension Charity Classic, and it was just an overall spectacular success for St. Louis, as he mentioned, for the charities that benefited for the golfers. And again, St. Louis sports fans show up in record numbers. And a huge congratulations to Nick, his team, everyone at Norwood and everyone at Ascension who put so much effort into making sure that this was a flawless event. We've talked to Nick countless times on this show and off of the show, and I can't tell you how much work was put into this. And there were so many curveballs thrown their way with the pandemic. And they adjusted to every single one and made sure to put on the best possible event. And I'm just so thrilled for the success that they had this weekend. And by the way, the gallery for Saturday, watching Ozzy and Jack Nicholas and Coach Berube and Tom Watson was incredible. And I hope they're able to do something similar to that again next year because getting those legends out there, other sports legends in addition to Nicholas and Watson, was a joy to see. And uh, my hope is that they'll come up with another creative idea for Saturday next year. I'm sure that they will. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And next up on 101 ESPN, we've got today's big thing. It was a wild weekend, not only in the the NFL yesterday, but in college football on Saturday. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time for today's big thing on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN as we reach the 9 o'clock hour, 9.02. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It was not a good weekend for the local college football teams. Mizzou falls to Kentucky 35-28, to and Michelle, it was really bad in regards to rush defense for the Tigers. They allowed 340 yards to the Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky moved ahead early and they were never really headed they were up 14 nothing in the first quarter at halftime it was 21 to 13 and the tigers were never really although the offense did make a rally late they were never able to stop kentucky's running game kentucky's been the thorn in the side of the tigers for a few seasons now they're never an easy out and do you think this is a bit of a dose of reality for eli drinkwitz and the tigers it is you've got a new defensive coordinator and you were hoping that things would improve and actually they've kind of regressed early on and especially with the running game the the running game against central michigan run defense was bad and now it's really bad against kentucky and the tigers need to get that buckled down in a hurry i don't know how you fix it quickly but they they better otherwise they're going to be in really big trouble in the conference because everybody in the conference the sec is capable of 
running for 300 yards against you. No doubt. And Mizzou has some lofty goals as a program. They want to be one of the preeminent forces in the SEC, and it, that doesn't happen overnight. Eli, Eli Drinkwitz is certainly early on in his tenure as the Tigers head coach. But I think a game like this one over the weekend really does show Mizzou that it's going to it's going to take a lot to get there. It's going to take a lot to be able to get to the level of a Georgia. I mean, Alabama's on a completely different level. Let's not even put them in the conversation. Or a Florida. But beating teams like Kentucky consistently is where you need to be. And even though they lost by a touchdown, they did rally. And Coach was reasonably happy with that. Yeah, I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of my football team. Really freaking proud of them. I mean, they fought their butt off in a hostile crowd down. You know, didn't start the game the way we wanted to. The second half didn't start the way we wanted to. They freaking fought their butt off, blocked a field goal, and gave us a chance to win the game. We didn't get it done. Um, but there's no reason to hang our heads. There's no reason to, 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 to you know, panic. Anybody that needs to panic or jump on Twitter and go crazy, like, relax. It's week two on the road, night SEC football game versus a good opponent. We had a chance to win. We didn't get it done. We'll go back to work tomorrow, uh, and we'll go to fixing it. And that's what we're, we're going to do. Um, a lot of football season left. whole heck of a lot of football season left. And i tell you what, I saw a bunch of fighters in that locker room, a bunch of frigging fighters on the sideline. And uh, that's a football team that's going to continue to improve and get better. They're going to fight to improve prove and get better. I don't know how many games we're going to win, but I know we're going to fight. Better win a lot. But they're going to fight Randy. That's a good thing. Did he just weave in an Aaron Rodgers relax in there? I think he did, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's but, a, that was impressive. But I, if you're the, the coach... You want to be proud of your guys for fighting. I think he did a good job there by saying we didn't do enough to win. There's a lot left, but I'm proud that they went out there and they they didn't just roll over, right? Right. Meanwhile, Illinois, Mm. while Mizzou had trouble defending the run, the Illini had trouble defending the pass. 423 yards passing for UVA. Outscored the Illini 21-7 in the first half, 21-7 in the second half, which equals a 42-14 victory for Virginia over the ILL. We knew that this wasn't going to be an incredible season for Illinois. It's Brett Bielma's first season. He's starting from scratch, essentially. Lovey Smith, I've said this a million times, left the program in a better position that he found it. But it is going to take a while to build a good program. This is still a patchwork team. And you you mentioned the secondary. That's an issue that Illinois is really going to have to clean up moving forward. But it is what it is. And I almost wish that I never want to say I, I didn't want my team to win a game, but that Nebraska win, even with all of their flaws, was a bit of fool's gold, right? It yeah. was it was a little bit of fool's gold because it got you excited for the future. You're excited for a new coach. You're excited for the next chapter. But these past two games, UTSA and Virginia, have been stark reminders of exactly what Brett Bielma inherited. Yeah, he's got work to do he's and got he's got a, a veteran team so he'll be able to turn over the personnel there reasonably quickly but he's trying to win with personnel that doesn't necessarily fit what he wants to be either absolutely and then you know virginia comes out they're up 14 nothing really early in the game and i think collectively us Illini fans we went man we've been here mm. man we know what this feels like. Not great. The game of the weekend took place at the Horseshoe in Columbus, Ohio. Ohio State hosting Oregon, and Oregon took a lead at halftime and never relinquished that lead. They pulled away early in the fourth quarter. Oregon up seven, knocking on the door in the fourth quarter. Snap to Brown. Rolls left. Got a man wide open. End zone. Touchdown, Oregon. It's the tight end. Matavau with a touchdown. Anthony Brown goes 17-35 for 236 and two touchdowns. Ohio State just did not look good defensively, and they'll turn things around as well. But 
the big thing here is that Oregon looked great. Even though Ohio State didn't have their great defensive game, they put 28 on the board, and Oregon didn't make mistakes and found a way to stay ahead. And this is super early in the season, but I love that you have Oregon beating Ohio State, UCLA beating LSU, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden the Pac-12 are in the conversation for the first time right. in a long time. Even though collectively the Pac-12 didn't have a great weekend, it just seems like... It's kind of exhausting when you head into the season and you almost feel like you can write in every single team that's going to be in the playoff yeah. year after year. And if you're the Pac-12, you've been left without a dance partner for a long time. And I think a lot of teams have a little bit of hope. And after week one, they're likely dash. So the fact that you have two teams, at least in the conversation, is, is pretty fun. Texas A&M has to come back late to beat Colorado 10-7. to The Stanford Cardinal knocking off USC. By the way, the fun part of that game was the opening kickoff when the USC kicker was ejected from the game for a targeting penalty. Right off the top. Yeah. The, the, the kicker is kicked out of the game. He's not supposed to target people. It's a tough kicker. And Michelle, how about Florida State and Jacksonville State? Jacksonville State scores on a 59-yard touchdown pass as time expires. Jacksonville State beats Florida State. But you know what? That wasn't all that surprising to me because Florida State has not been good in a long time. They're coming off three straight losing seasons. They've been on a carousel of of different coaches. And... I just look at these programs that were once great and that haven't been great in a while. And I say to myself, why are we surprised by this? Mike Norvell was supposed to turn things around. And I don't know what the deal is with Florida State because, like you said, they've been through multiple coaches now since Bobby Bond. Jimbo Fisher was great, won a national championship. Right. But... But since Jimbo, really. they And they aren't happy, obviously. I would think that Norvell's probably on the hot seat today oh, after course. starting off 0-2. Of course. Any any program like that yeah. with a loss like that, especially opening the season this way, never great. But it's always amazing to me that certain teams could sink far like this because there's so much talent in Florida. There's so much talent mm-hmm. in Florida. And when you have a program that was Oh, preeminent force in college football in Florida State. You you would imagine that maybe if they took a step back, it would be a little bit of a stumble, but they would kind of always be in the mix, especially in the ACC. But to see Florida State fall, fall this far is they got some work to do. Yeah. Another team that has some work to do before they get to the SEC, the Texas Longhorns, who were drilled by Arkansas 40 to 21. And Barry Odom's defense for Arkansas was sensational against Texas. Do you think the SEC or members of the SEC take a little bit of pleasure in that? There's no doubt, especially A&M and Mizzou, the teams that were in the Big 12 that came to the SEC. They're saying, OK, welcome to the big time now. That's right. That's right. I I wonder if I thought about that. I wonder if they want Texas to be good because they want them to come in and, you know, be a force to be reckoned with and they want more competition. Or if they're kind of looking at Texas saying, hi, you want to come into this party? It's going to be a little different, even though, again, Texas is in the same boat as Florida State. They have not been good in a while. I don't know why we're surprised by these things. It's at least with Texas, they're the school. They should be the school that everybody wants to go to in the state. There is a lot of competition for Florida State because of Miami, because of Florida. Mm-hmm. So there, there should be more competition for players. Should be every, all due respect to 
A&M being in the SEC now, Texas should be the school where every kid wants to go. How they don't win and compete for a national championship every year is beyond me. They have all the money and all the resources in the world. They are the brand in college football in that state. And it is kind of mind-blowing that they haven't been able to get it done or at least at least be in the playoff conversation. Right. And Notre Dame was able to hold off Toledo 32-29. to That game was, well, NBC didn't show it. It was on the Peacock. They thought it would be a blowout for Notre Dame. Not so much. 32-29, Toledo gives them all they can handle. But the Irish now 2-0 after their opening weekend victory against Florida State. And now this one against Toledo. That is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals, Padres, and the Cincinnati Reds are all creeping towards the National League wild card. So how competitive is this really? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, kids, here's how the National League wildcard race shapes up at the moment. The Dodgers are 91 and 53, 16 games ahead in the number one wildcard spot of the Padres and the Reds, who are tied for the top spot, uh, the second spot, actually, in the wildcard. The Padres are 74 and 68. The Reds are 75 and 69. The Cardinals even on the loss side with Cincinnati. They both have 69 losses. The Cardinals only have 73 wins, so they're a game behind. Philadelphia, Michelle, just lost three of four at home to the Rockies. And so Philadelphia is two and a half games behind the leaders, a game and a half behind the Cardinals. And to add a little context there, the Rockies... 21 and 51 on the road. Coming into that series, they were 17 and 50 on the road, and they took three of four in Philadelphia. Do you think the post game is just explain yourself? Yeah, it's got to be that. In Philly. In Philly. Yeah. Explain yourself. How could you have let this happen? Which is why I have more confidence in the Cardinals. It's not only because they seem to be having a few things click at the right time, but because the Phillies are losing to the Rockies. The Reds are in a free fall. The Padres are in a really bad spot. It's not only the way that I feel about the Cardinals that allows me to have confidence that they will you know, make up this difference and, and likely secure that spot. It's because the teams that they're chasing slash are chasing them are all in a really tough position right now. They're not playing good baseball. The Padres whom the Cardinals and the Reds are both chasing. They're, the Padres are micro percentage points ahead of the Reds. Padres have 20 games left, and of those, 10 are against the team with the best record in baseball, the San Francisco Giants. How the schedule was set up this way, I don't know, but the Padres have 20 games left. They're 18 and a half behind the Giants. The Giants have 93 wins, far and away the most in Major League Baseball. And they're still battling the Dodgers for the top spot in the West. Dodgers two games behind them. So the Giants are going to be playing motivated ball. They're the best team in ball. And they're playing the Padres 10 of the Padres 20 games. Oh, yeah. Looking at that schedule, there's a lot of orange. <laughs> they have to play the the Giants so many times. The Cardinals are in there, the Dodgers. So, yeah, if you're a Cardinals fan and you look at the Padres' remaining schedule and the way that they've been playing and, and their pitching issues, you have to feel good about that. The Reds have lost six consecutive series. And they are percentage points behind the the Padres. The Reds have three of Pittsburgh starting tomorrow. Then they get the Dodgers at home. That won't be easy for Cincinnati. No. Then they get the Pirates at home. Then they get Washington at home before wrapping up with 
a couple at the White Sox, and then three at Pittsburgh. You'd think that the Reds would be able to take advantage of that, but the series they've played among the series that they've lost in their last six series, this one to the Cardinals, they lost two of three to the Cubs, they lost two of three to the Tigers, lost two of three to the Cardinals, they lost two of three to the Marlins. So... It's not like they've been playing good teams and beating them before they got to St. Louis. We talked about this last week, and you said that Tony LaRusso always told you that September is a completely different animal. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that with the Reds. A lot of the cracks are starting to show with them. And I think that they. It, a lot of their vulnerabilities are being exposed, and I think they might be simultaneously running out of gas a little bit, which, again, even though they're playing Pittsburgh a lot, and you would think that they would be able to feast on them based on the teams that they have just recently lost series mm-hmm. to, that's not a guarantee. So, again, another reason to feel confident if you're the Cardinals. And I know there's a lot of reasons to feel negative if you're a Cardinals fan. Don't get me wrong, but we're just looking at the opponents right now and saying the Cardinals are in a, in a position here to get this done. This is all about perspective, and here it is is the the ultimate piece of perspective for this wild card race. The Cardinals have gone 20 and 17 since August 1st. They played 37 games. They've gone 20 and 17 and picked up six and a half games in the wild card race. Wow. Despite going three games over. Padres have gone 14 and 20. The Reds have gone 20 and 18. And the Mets have gone 15 and 24 since August 1st. So that's why you have to feel good if you're a Cardinal fan. It's not because your team is so great. It's because the other teams that are in the league are so deficient. Do you think they get it done, the Cardinals? Do you think they're in? And there's a lot of baseball left to play. But right now, a game out... Here's why I like the Cardinals, and yes, I do. And it really doesn't have as much to do with them as it does with who they're playing, because I think Milwaukee, they know where they're going to be. They're essentially locked in as the number two seed. They don't have much to play for, except for their pitchers going for individual records. But I have to believe that down the stretch, Craig Council is going to be taking it easy. He doesn't care who winds up in the wild card, whether it's they're all going to be the same. They're Mm -hmm. all going to be pretty average. So from that perspective, after the Cardinals play these three at New York, they come home and take on the Padres. Padres are, as you use the perfect word, vulnerable. And the Cardinals should be able to to handle them, at least get two out of three. Then you go to Milwaukee for four. And I think you'll be able to split with Milwaukee because I don't think that they've got a lot to play for. Then you get the Cubs at Chicago for four. And I know the Cubs have been hot of late, but I still think that the Cardinals the way things are going, should be able to handle them. Then the Cardinals get the Brewers here for three. And again, maybe the Brewers will be tuning up for the postseason by that point. And then three against the Cubs in St. Louis to end the season. I think the the weak schedule and the way the Cardinals have been playing against it, if the Cardinals and their remaining, is it 20? If they can just do what they've been doing and go, what, 12 and 8, I think that'll be enough. You know what concerns me? Well, several things concern me, but as you were just outlining that, is that the Cubs, who have been a bit hot as as of late, have nothing really to play for other than being spoilers. Yep. And here is a, uh, an organization that made a ton of changes, and I could absolutely see their motivating factor being, we don't want the Cardinals to be the team that gets in. We have two series versus the Cardinals down the stretch here, seven games in total. Let's be the reason that they don't get in. But I wonder if there's enough guys on that roster that – are, have been part of the rivalry that it really matters to him. Unless David Ross says, okay, this is our rival, let's knock them out. 
Couldn't you see David Ross saying that I, I absolutely in, could, in, yeah. the, in the media and saying that to these guys, giving them something to galvanize around, getting the fan base something to get really excited about? We're going to go out there and we're going to play spoiler to the Cardinals. Yeah, and you're playing, if you're an individual, playing for a better look next year at spring training because that's going to be yeah. a different looking team. And if you're one of the guys that's been given an opportunity after their purge, you're, you want to catch David Ross's eye. So there are a lot of reasons for the Cubs to play hard, but the bottom line is Cardinals have Molina and Arenado and, uh, and Paul Goldschmidt. They just have a lot more good established players that have been through the wars than the Cubs have. There's no reason for the Cardinals in those last seven against the Cubs to not win five of them. No, Adam Wainwright, too. We'll, pr- we'll likely yeah. get the ball yeah, at some point there. He'll probably pitch in both of those series. Right. But here it is. This is what it is for the Cardinals. They're going for the wild card spot. They aren't going for the division title. And what they have to hope is that they can get hot and then come up with a miracle in L.A. and then take their chances against the Giants. But don't you hate that we're in this position that if the Cardinals get in, that's where we're at, as we're hoping for devil yeah. magic yet again? Yeah. And the Cardinals did just split the series versus the Dodgers. There was some encouraging uh, signs out of that series. But I think you don't feel great about your chances, even if it is Adam Wainwright in a one-game playoff versus the Dodgers. It's remarkable that one superb starting pitcher can have such a big effect on a team. But you look around baseball, and it does. It's it's happened with the Padres. It's happening now with the Red Sox with the loss of Chris Sale. Uh, We're seeing it now with the Yankees with the loss of Garrett Cole. You lose your number one guy unless you can afford to go out and get Max Scherzer. It's going to have a dramatic effect on your success. And if the Cardinals could get Flaherty back in the last week of the season, that might change the dynamics of the whole thing, for the postseason at least. That would be incredible. But yeah, that does just show you what an incredible organization the Dodgers are, that they could lose someone like Trevor Bauer and have someone like Cody Bellinger having a really, really down year, former MVP, and still have the the rest of the team perform at such a level and have the aggressiveness from the front office to go out and supplement uh, those losses or some of those inefficiencies that they have and still be in this position. And have been good, so good, that they've gone to the playoffs for seven or eight consecutive years, but still have two top 50 prospects that you can trade for Scherzer and Turner. Normally, when you're drafting that low, when you're in the World Series or in the NLCS every year, you aren't going to get prospects that good. Now, one of them was an international purchase, but they do that great, too. They buy as many guys as they can and then hope that a couple of them work out, and that did work out with Ruiz. And so they're doing everything right in L.A. They're doing everything right. And even though the Giants have the best record in baseball, Michelle, I think that the Dodgers are the World Series favorites. They're the standard in baseball right now. They really are. And by the way, nobody, including Farhan Zaidi or Gabe Kapler, or any player on the Giants, nobody expected that team to have 93 wins. Absolutely Even not. the Pakota people didn't expect them to have 93 wins, and they know more than anybody about baseball. Yeah, Pakota's always right. Right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up on 101 ESPN, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> 
You can stop by and say hi to Michelle at the CarX Tire and Auto location in Baldwin on Friday from 2 to 4. It's CarX's 50th anniversary celebration with tons of great specials, including free hot dogs, hamburgers, and soda. Stop by and get a $15 off oil change voucher that can be used anytime between now and the end of the year. It's all happening Friday from 2 to 4 with Michelle at the CarX in Baldwin. And speaking of Michelle, it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. There's always so many things that happen on a Friday afternoon after we're already done with the show or over the weekend that I I email myself little notes to talk to you about on Monday, and especially because you were out on Friday, Randy. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have a ton to talk to you about in this segment. But one thing I really wanted to break down with you was the Blues unveiling their 2020 Road Winter Classic jerseys versus the Wild coming up. And this was a highly anticipated unveiling. And before I get your take on it, I have to tell you, I think the jerseys are absolutely beautiful. They're they're a nod to the 67-68 team sweaters. I love the color. I love the logo. I think they hit this one out of the park. What do you think? I think they need to wash them. They, they look like that stupid bone. You don't uh, like that? No. No, I don't like it at all. I, I'm, I'm much more of a bright white fan. Even though this is one jersey, it's just a throwback. It's yeah, got the- a little bit of a throwback homage flavor to it. I would rather go with a bright white or something that uh, is different. They just look old to me. Man, I thought you would love them as much as I did. Emily? You better believe I was on that at 10 o'clock on stlauthentics.com to order one for my birthday. Oh, very nice. Good. I tried to get David Perron. All the customizations, it was kind of hard to get it because I think the website was not uh, able to handle the amount of people. People love it, huh? Yeah. There were a lot of people that were on there to get their to get their jerseys, but I ended up getting Ryan O'Reilly. So oh. nothing wrong with the number ninety. Nothing wrong with ninety. I tried to get our boy no. David Perron since he's on our show, but Ryan O'Reilly. All I right. mean the captain, not, not a bad not consolation prize. Yeah. So let me put it this way. Of all of the blues jerseys, and I'll include the old navy with the arch logo. Okay. I would put these behind the home winter classics. Behind the traditional now home and road, behind the navy ones, just and uh, it's not that I despise them. I just think that the blues could have done better with a brighter white. That's all. I'm surprised you, uh, when you were ranking jerseys, didn't throw the reverse retro in there. Reverse retro and regular retro. Reverse retro ahead of that. Wow. Regular retro, I'll put below. The the blue retro, I'll put below. You put reverse retro above this oh, one? The red pops. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. I think you're going to have a lot of people against you on that one. Oh, that's fine. Some people just don't have really good taste in jerseys. I get that. <laughs> oh. The shade, Randy, the shade. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. I think they look sweet. I'm glad you like them. And yeah. I'm, obviously, Emily likes them, too. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that they're going to be able to do well in terms of moving these off the shelves. Emily spent her hard-earned money. She I bought herself she a birthday present. She liked it so much. Techni- but, technically, J-Row bought it for me okay. for my birthday. My mom. Shout out, J-Row. Jen. Thanks, J-Row. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll buy pretty much any okay. jersey. I'll, Can't wait to see it. I'm my jersey snob. Yeah, maybe maybe it'll look better in person. I don't know. What if she comes in here and it looks so good? Do you get online I might change my mind for yourself? Yeah, I might change my mind. I, I don't know if that's going to happen. But maybe I'll change my mind. Do you own a blue sweater? I do not own a blue sweater. I, I don't, don't own a Cardinal jersey. I Me don't either. own a Mizzou jersey. I don't no. own I I don't own any jerseys right now. Except for a 101 ESPN 101 jersey. And I do have a uh, framed Cardinal Saturday 
jersey that Mike Matheny gave me. Oh, that's pretty cool. But uh, that's it. I don't own a jersey either, but I also have my 101 ESPN kickball jersey. Is that the one oh. you're referring to? Mm-hmm. Hanging in my closet. I was named MVP of that game. Yep. Beat out Jackie Joyner-Kersey. So you be- you better believe we're keeping that memento. No doubt about it. It might be the single greatest athletic feat of my career. And it's not because I was particularly fast or particularly a great kicker, but because I had the strategy that you needed to bunt. Mm-hmm. And my bunt successfully helped our team win. So. You are a great kicker. Thank you. I won the MVP of that game, and I'll never forget. I think I have enough jerseys that I could wear a different one every day for at least a month. That's a lot of jerseys. Good for you. A lot. What's your number one? What's your favorite jersey? Probably Wayno. He's my favorite. Oh, okay. Probably Wayno. Wayno home? It's it's the Saturday alternate, oh, the cream. Great. Love that one. Either that or Catfish Hunter, because he's my he's uh-huh. named my brother is named after him. Catfish? Indirectly, yes. Oh. Yeah, my, that was my dad's nickname for company softball. Uh-huh. And so my brother is named Hunter. Oh, I thought your brother's name was Catfish. It is Catfish, yes. Okay. Yes, Catfish Roth. <laughs> uh, before I move to my next story, some quick text from the 314. Shame on you, Randy. Ugly red jerseys remind me of Mike Keenan. Shame on you. From the 314. Mike Keenan wasn't here for the reverse retro. <laughs> from the 314. Isn't Randy colorblind? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, Mike Keenan uh, brought you Wayne Gretzky. So you didn't like the Wayne Gretzky era in St. Louis is what you're telling me? Uh, I was at the Jamie Rivers Roast on Saturday. Mike Keenan got mentioned once, and he it was the only time everyone in the crowd booed. Isn't that something? People still have a lot of hatred towards him. And before the Blues won the Stanley Cup, probably the, the team that had the best chance to win the Stanley Cup was his. Wow. Um, two more quick ones from the 314. Randy is on one this morning uh, from the 314. Come on, Randy. These are the greatest jerseys ever made. Ever made. Just saying. You're outnumbered big time on this one with the jerseys. Aren't the, the baby blues nicer than this? Aren't the home winter classic jerseys better than these? I don't know. I really like this one. Wow. I don't get it. And you know, I'm not even a jersey or a sweater person. No. And they unveiled it. And I was like, classic. It's so clean. It's bone. Listen, don't let your negative feelings towards the Rams get intermingled with this sweater. Don't let that stupid uniform with the bone color and soul and what was the other one? Like Ocean Crest or something. Don't let those feelings take any part in this sweater. No, even the Rams got rid of those. They recognize the error of their ways. Yeah, that and was bad on their part. That was. No, I just, when I talk about a clean look, to me, that signifies brighter. Hmm. I just like the, I like the brighter. All right. You're killing me, Small. Tide clean. Oh, you like it squeaky clean. Yep. Hmm. Well, you know who is squeaky clean right now is Max Scherzer from the Dodgers. He had an unbelievable outing this weekend. He ended up throwing his 3,000th career strikeout. Here's what it sounded like. Or actually, you know what I should have done? What? I should have done the immaculate inning first because it, it happened first in the okay. game. So let's let's roll it back. Let's forget what I said. That's me. Okay. <laughs> okay, so the second inning of this game, uh, Padres, Dodgers, Max Scherzer, immaculate inning. In an 0-2 hole, Scherzer comes back home and finishes him off with a slider. How'd you get that team? Down the middle with a fast 0-2 pitch. And if that wasn't enough, Max Scherzer also threw his 3,000th strikeout three innings later. Has the one. Yes! 3,000 for Scherzer! 
He also took a perfect game into the eighth inning of, inning of this game. He lost it on an Eric Hosmer double. Double. Oh my gosh, I can't talk during this segment. Randy, you got me all shook now because you don't like the, the blue sweater. Sorry about that. It's all right. But those eight shutout innings brought Scherzer's ERA down to 2.17. He surpasses Corbin Burns of the Brewers, of course, for the best ERA in Major League Baseball. Okay, first of all, the jerseys still suck. No, they don't. Second of all, with our era, Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw, is Scherzer the best of this era? If we're going to go the last 10 years of Major League Baseball, is Scherzer the best pitcher of this era? He's going to win his fourth Cy Young if he does, which I believe Kershaw has done. Verlander, I think, has three. I kind of, with all the great things that Clayton Kershaw has done, I think Scherzer's even better. So if you could have one guy, one game. Had, you, I would have had, had him for choose. the last 10 years. You had to choose. Oh, for the last 10 years? That is such a difficult question. Because initially I want to go Kershaw, but I can't remove some of the postseason mm-hmm. stuff from that conversation. Even though he's overcome it, even though he's a World Series champion, that still doesn't remove it from the resume for me. And if I want one guy for the past 10 years, I want a guy that I know is going to be lights out when it matters the most. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm with you. I think I would go Scherzer. And I know a lot of people are going to text in DeGrom. DeGrom just hasn't done it long enough. I, I'm talking about, and, and he was, I guess, in the 15 World Series. So he's been around for a half dozen years. But for the for the decade, the last decade, I think I would go with Scherzer which is the numbers that Clayton Kershaw has put up. That's a big statement. It is, but again, postseason stuff. Yep. Cacaw! Randy, we want to talk a little bit about the Washington football team. So Ryan Fitzpatrick injured his hip. He was ruled out for the game, the Washington football team game. And Tyler Heineke came into the game. So we got to give Tyler Heineke a shout out and a little cacaw for him. But the reason I even wanted to bring this up is because a lot of people are trying to connect the dots with Cam Newton, who was still out there looking for a job. His old coach, Ron Rivera, of course, is the head coach of the Washington football team, the coach who had the, the greatest amount of success with Cam Newton. And a lot of people are wondering if that might be the landing spot for him. Before the injury, Ron Rivera has been pretty strident in saying that Cam Newton is not a fit for the football team. But I wonder if that changes now. We don't know how bad the hip injury is for Fitzpatrick. We know Newton is in shape. Newton probably gives them a better chance to win than Heineke does. If I were the Washington football team, I think I would be inclined to reach out and see if he wants to play for Ron Rivera again. I would certainly at least consider it. I'd pick up the phone and I'd make that phone call. He's motivated. He's Mm -hmm. out there. Is he the same Cam Newton he once was? No. Is he a guy that up until a couple weeks ago we thought was going to be the starting quarterback for the Patriots? Yes. And I know that they have some... Uh, COVID questions probably or vaccine Mm -hmm. questions but when you lose 20 to 16 to the Chargers and you're putting all of your hope in Tyler Tyler Heineke Taylor Heineke even though we love him Kaka I don't know I think I make that phone call I believe I would too and let's remember Washington was in the playoffs last year and they have a great defense they're a team that can probably get by scoring a couple of touchdowns a game, win games 20 to 17, 23 to 21, things like that. They probably don't need a ton of offense with as talented and as deep as their defense is. 
I can't believe I said Tyler. You know what's? You know why I did that? I heard them say Tyler Heineke on the morning show. And I said, it's Taylor Heineke. Come yeah, on, come guys. On. Caw. St. Louis Battlehawks legend, right? And then I just did it. I was thinking to myself about that. And then I said, Tyler. And do I you wonder, ever do that? You ever hear someone say yep. something and, and you're like, no. And then you do you it yourself? Doing it. Yeah. It's the worst. So, sorry. No disrespect to our Battlehawks legend. And I wonder, what's up? I don't even know where Jordan Tayamu is right now. But he was better than Heineke. Is he still? He was with the Chiefs. He, he got was cut with by the, the Chiefs. Chiefs. Let's see. He might be a free agent now. Stand by. Free agent now. Yep, according to uh, the Wikipedia. Yeah, he was cut by the Lions on August 23rd. So uh, maybe that's the Washington football team play is to get Jordan Tayamu. Just a Battlehawks tandem? Yep. Kakaw! Kakaw! Be good. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Uh, that's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is... One person who sports. hates these... these Jerseys, our winter classic sweaters. Oh, you just like them because they're new and you're supposed to like them. You no, can't I'm not. like everything. I'm not even a huge uniform person. I don't really get worked up one way or the other, but I loved these. I thought they were perfectly done. We're going to have to get this for you as your jersey, the one you have. Well, I won't wear it. I will a sweater. wear it. No, let's not waste our money on that. I won't okay. wear it. All right. It's too heavy for me. Too heavy. Okay. Heavy material. Four. Hours of BK and Ferrario coming up. We'll cross things over with those fellas next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. From the BLIS, the best listeners in sports. Text 65780 from the 314. I'm with Randy. The new winter classics aren't that impressive from the 314. It's ugly clean. Would not buy it. Uh, also from the 314, by the way, to uh, benefit Michelle and Alex Ferrario, who's in the room, and, and Emily. Randy is petty. Uh, from the 636. <laughs> You're right, Randy. They suck. People say every New Jersey is the best ever. Uh no, that's not true, Randy, because I heard from plenty of listeners when that reverse retro came out that uh, Ferrario, you suck because they're <laughs> called the blues, not the reds. They have plenty of blue in there. Uh, how about this from the 314? I agree with Randy. The jersey just looks dirty. Bright white with that shade of blue would have looked awesome. How about this one from the 618? That jersey is amazing. Randy, stop smoking ganja in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done that. From the 636, <laughs> I will agree with Randy about the white. Otherwise, I love it. And I, Yeah, if it were a bright white, if it were, if it were a clean white, I would love it too. So I'm, I, I am appreciative of the people that agree with me. And I the people that don't agree with me. I'm appreciative of everybody who takes the time to listen and text in. Especially the one that said that you were smoking that ganj. And by the way, this one from the 618, which I can't believe any responsible teacher would do. Uh But from the 618, my high school teachers told me Wikipedia wasn't a viable source. Well, we've been using it here in the 101 ESPN studios for 11, 12 years now, however long this station's been around, and it has been our Bible. So don't be dissing Wikipedia. Uh, Emily. I think you told me that during the fight one time when you got (laughs) something wrong. Was that the biggest lie in school more than you're going to use cursive for the rest of your life? Oh, no. Cursive's way worse. Because Wikipedia, I understand, because anyone could change it. We could go in and change something right now. So I understand from an educator standpoint why they wouldn't want to push Wikipedia. But the cursive thing... 
We wasted a lot of time, Alex, scroll, scrolling and cursing and looping. And I mean, we had an entire class on it. And you know when the last time I wrote in cursive was? Probably, years. I, I put a lot of stress on th- uh, third grade Alex, Randy, thinking that, man, I got to figure out how to perfect mm-hmm. this cursive. And I can't do the G to save my life. How about the Q? No. The Q, that loopy Q. I don't even Capital use cursive Q. when I sign checks or receipts I don't because I just scribble. Yeah, uh, that's what my autograph is now. <laughs> I, I can't do a D in cursive, and my name is Randy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. I just don't put the little stick up there. So that's is it all on one plane, your autograph? Yeah, I, I throw it in there sometimes. That's a great yeah. question. Like, what's the, what's the letter that gives you the most problems in cursive? It was G or Z for me. I never understood the Z. Never understood the Z, how they're like, no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, a double loop Z. It's a question mark, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what is this? But underneath the line, too. Yeah. So do you think they even teach that to kids these days? No. I don't Cursive? Think so. I think Why they all have, like, computers now. Yeah, everything's voice to text. Yeah, or yeah de- nobody texting. even prints. That's <laughs> true. No, that's true. I need to buy a printer. It's on my list of things to do. But not, not printer. I mean, like, printing like, rather than right. cursive. Oh, yes, but even that. print. I feel like printers are... Everybody sends things digitally yeah, now, they do. right? You that don't even need a printer. That carpal tunnel, man, it'll get you. Oh, this one from the 636. We had to do calligraphy in the seventh grade. Talk about useless. Calligraphy. Oh, no calligraphy? I mean, you can probably... Is it like cave print? So, parlay that into something else. Maybe wedding invitations, pl- yeah. place, you know, seat cards. You kids don't know about this, but there used to be a thing called a, a typewriter. <laughs> And oh, I know about it. I loved them. So uh, in seventh grade, speaking of seventh grade, I was taking typing <laughs> and... So you get better and better, and they time you. The very first day that I typed 50 words a minute, I got to 50 words a minute, which is like secretary quality, right? I'm playing a pickup football game in my backyard. This is like hours after I had typed 50 words a minute, and I get my hand stepped on and break my hand. Oh, my God. And I've never been the same typist. Really? Never. Randy, you could have had like Ruined a... my typing career. I mean, you got a pretty incredible career in front of you. But I could have been an administrative assistant. You could have been a stenographer. What's the job in a courtroom? I think it's a stenographer. Is that a stenographer? Right? Yeah, yeah. I could have done that. Could've that is that probably up. the most impressive job out there because really like, they've, they've seen some stuff. And they don't even yeah. look up. No. no. No, that's incredible. So uh, what's that thing called when you're typing, you know, and it kicks over and you have to go... And click yeah. it back. I, f- I forget. Text 65780. What is that thing called? Because yeah. do they calculate that I never used a typewriter, but that in movies always seems so cool when you're going. It feels so official. You got to be fluid, too, because the other hand's still typing when they push it over, like in the middle of it. I did that. Do they take that into consideration in the 50 words per minute? Oh, yeah. Yeah, do they deduct time? Is it like soccer where you get extra time? Because that's a lot harder than just hitting the space bar. That's. I was special. I, I was gifted as a as a typist. I like this from the 618. Randy's broken hand should be a 30 for 30. What if we told you that Randy Carricker... Yeah. What if we told you the day that Randy Carricker got to 50 a, words a minute in his typing class was also the day that tragedy struck? A pickup football game took probably the best man away from being a stenographer in the, in the courtroom. What if I told you that the golden hand had its best... And worst day on the same mega day. Mind lost his mega have, hand. Uh, just a, a spike coming down on top of a hand. <laughs> that's the that's the cover photo for it. Crack. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I broke my wrists, then that ended my uh, my Randy. handwriting career too. Randy, what's going on? I man? fell off a ladder. Man, I was putting up a wreath. And a I, wreath. I, re- I remember that. That was a scary that time. A so do you like thing. hate Christmas now because of that? No, no I don't. Randy no. loves Christmas, but no, that was a. Double roster. Yeah, yeah, that's not great. Um, by the way, it's called a, a return, a carriage return. Carriage return, boom. Yeah, that was great. Good times, Randy, good times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, and now 
I would be sitting there because we weren't thinking about computers when I was in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. Now I'd say, what the hell did I do that for? (laughs) I'm kind of glad I broke my hand. So, Alex, what do we got coming up on the show? Oh, man, we got an extra hour today because uh, BK and I are, are taking down things for Danny. He's got some family stuff today. So we're an extra hour talking with Katie Wu, of course, with this wild, Woo. wild card race. That's right. And then we got David Schoenfeld from uh, ESPN MLB Insider. So we'll get into the Cardinals, obviously, and we'll look back on a uh, crazy week. One, by the way, congrats to your Miami Dolphins. Thank you, Alex. 1-0. How's it feel? It feels great. Pretty awesome. Pretty good. Just take down Belichick, too, and, I'm sure. By the way, I do think that... That at the end of tonight, that character Smallman Butcher will have the highest winning percentage among any show for our picks. All right. Yeah. yeah well, my teammate got seven hundred, while I got nine. Actually, both my teammates got seven hundred, while I got nine hundred. So Ooh. they need Good to job. step up their game. Yeah, but way to carry the team, bud. That's why I got you guys. Yeah. Make sure we represent ESPN well. Now our team in the Adam Wainwright Big League Impact Fantasy Football League. Don't oh, know yeah. if we need to How talk about that. No, that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams did not help us. Mm-mm. So Aaron is on our list. <laughs> but a new Keep team next eye. week. He's got that nice man bun, though, you know? A lot of people are saying the man bun needs to go. Well, man bun is. Yeah. You always got to cut Take that some scissors off. to that. I don't know. I don't know. You like the man I bun? I kind of like it. He but just I... looks dirty, doesn't he? No, I think he looks intentional. You know, it's a, it's a look. It's style. But I think if it's maybe distracting him a little... If if he comes out and plays again like that, and listen, the Saints defense did an unbelievable job versus Aaron Rodgers and that Packers offense, but if he has another tough week, then it's got to go. Like Samson, just cut it off, Randy. Great job by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle, this was a fun Monday. It was, Randy. See you tomorrow. We'll do it again on Tuesday. For all of us, thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.